Denzel goes deep undercover, Sean Connery is senpai, and the world rejects Benifer. This week on 30-20-10. Welcome everyone to 30-20-10, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. Uh, taking you on a fun little journey, a po- an, or an audio journey, 30, 20, and 10 years into our pop culture past. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? It's Diana Goodman, and it is turkey time. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and I must overcome the challenges of 4.6 billion years of evolution so I can marry Gaia. <laughs> fantastic uh welcome to the show um man i just right off the back one of the think our patreons patreon.com slash laser time please enjoy that ai episode we got a 30 20 10 in depth about two bond movies so for me my cup runneth over with sean connery as of late um <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway i just want to say right off the bat i don't think i've had we ha- we've had a show with two movies that are just wrong. Like, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong movies. They're not misunderstood. They're just wrong. Um, <laughs> we have some wrong movies this episode and some decent ones, so I don't want to shit on everything. Yeah, some decent ones, but I think we have the final, the trifecta of 2003 is the best year for bad movies. Wow. Was it? Was Boat Trip this year? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> it's an emphatic yes. Okay, uh, that makes it four then, because of... Boat Trip, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, The Room, and the extremely notorious disaster we're talking about later. I mean, uh, yeah, oh, two, okay, 2003. Now, we'll get to it later. I don't think Boat Trip is a good, bad movie. Is I, the movie we're going to talk about a good, bad movie? No. 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 I don't think so. No. no. Only for the holding your brains in so they don't leak out your ears kind of <laughs> viewing. of like, why, 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 why? And I just want to give a, a quick 30-20-10 salute, I think, from all of us. We never do this. But what show premieres over 10 years apart three times in history? So the new episode of Futurama. I saw some old friends this weekend, literally. It had been 10 years, and it felt like just nothing had changed. That new episode of Futurama felt exactly the same. Holy shit. <laughs> 10 years almost oh. from the, the, the second premiere. Several years from it. It's going to have a fourth finale, Futurama. Um, <laughs> for, wow. Anyway. Um, and I love that they're throwing in those little throwaway background things. They've got one for only murders in the hollow cube or something like that. <laughs> and just that they, te- they even now get to tease Bender's, we're back, baby, uh, <laughs> because they, you know it's coming. <laughs> anyway, moving on. This was my first highlight for wrongest movie I have ever seen. Oh, and, wait, we do have some news. In oh, it. sorry, sorry. Yes, we should go into some news. 30, 20, 10, we look at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago from this week, uh, this week being July 28th through August 3rd. We'll be looking at the movies, TV shows, video games, music, and more that came out. Uh, so open those three little portals and take a journey with us and try and remember where you were and what you were doing. This really helped me because I was watching all of this shit. Uh, a little bit of news that might remind you what's going on. Gail Gardner becomes the first uh, the first woman to do play-by-play of baseball when she called the action of a game uh, between the Colorado Rockies and the Cincinnati Reds. 
it's uh, one of those things you don't really think about it, but mm -hmm. when you picture a sports announcer, you always picture a male voice. You just do. You better believe it, Jr. A girl, <laughs> but she'll be so confused by the fashions and such. She'll just want to talk about shoes. How does she look at a plaid jacket? I ask you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you put yeah, a flask in a miniskirt? I ask. <laughs> Sorry, I watched a lot of Brockmire, <laughs> who who also like rather seamlessly wove in a woman into the announce desk, and I, I was like, oh, I guess I've never seen that. Meanwhile, it happened yeah. 30 years ago with Gail Gardner. Yeah, it happened 30 years ago. Yeah, we've had more and more, you know, female sports reporters. Like, does she know her shit? Yeah. Put her on the sidelines, man. It, Why not? Yeah, Works me, for everybody. Mean, meanwhile, like, the art of listening to the art, I don't have a better word for it, listening to a game on the radio, it still happens. And I, mm -hmm. I think maybe the only, one of the big reasons they didn't put a woman in there, it's like, the least journalistic integrity of any position on the radio because you gotta lose your shit oh my god <laughs> throwing out metaphors oh like a fox in the hen house ricky henderson has done it and i just <laughs> just wonder how a woman's going to do that like uh uh yeah let me, if you have any clips online of a female play-by-play -play correspondent oh let me know let me know well, yeah but going crazy i mean yeah. is there a woman who does go there but is, like, isn't there? With like a with like a female edge to it, yeah. I don't know. I I can tell you, there's no edge. like. Go, <laughs> there's no parodies out there of female announcers. You know, we can all do Howard Cosell at the drop of a hat. You got Even that right, Jr. I'm whoever that Will that Ferrell guy before I was born. Did he? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. I think he was. I think he had a talk show by the time you were born. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Gail Gardner, yeah. we salute you. 30 2010 movies 30 years ago, 1993, July 28th through August 3rd. This oh, yeah. is our first wrong, wrong, wrong movie. And it's wrong. It's very wrong. My favorite phrase is this is pop cultural uh, arson. Okay. <laughs> they, they, they took something that is good and decent in pop culture and they lit it on fire yeah yeah why why don't we ever hear about my childhood was ruined by this as opposed to you know star wars or something no this is ruining the childhoods of several generations well it, and and i i, I want to speak on it as quickly as possible tom and jerry are super important to animation and i believe i've seen more memes of tom than i've seen of the likes of Bug, at least any of the Disney characters, because the Tom and Jerry cartoons hold up really well. Tom and I, I, I loved asking that question, um, or I use it during Oscar nights where I get to wear as many Oscar winners on my body as I as I can. And I was asking a quiz. This is how prestigious Tom and Jerry was. Um, one, I love that they're like third cartoon landed on the same day as Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it, it really like the, you know, the day after and it won them an Oscar. And then I always ask like, uh, uh, usually like Donald won one Oscar, Bugs won one Oscar, Tweety won two, Tom and Jerry won seven. The, the Academy loved Tom and Jerry and Han Hanna-Barbera, they created it, they shepherded it. And they, I think their name, at least in my opinion, is synonymous with crap. <laughs> Here you go, JR. Uh, but at least 
inexpensive animation, but those old Tom and Jerry cartoons are lavish. They're, and Diana could go off probably on the way MGM made movies. It was always lavish, over budget. These look the best they can. And Tom and Jerry cartoons do that, and they look very, very good. I don't know what provoked them to make a movie with the studio directed by the guy who shepherded Garfield um, into money. It. I mean, it's just <laughs> into existence. Brand that generations of kids have known on. So they thought, hey, let's make some quick bucks. Yeah, it, and that's that to me feels a little evil. And I'd say it would feel more evil, but they just announced, just announced, or it's our, no, it's been out. Tom and Jer- Tom and Jerry go to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and we had to look at this. Oh, they've done a bunch of those. They've had. This is Tom the first of, of eight. Be... This is the first of eighteen Tom and Jerry movies. Oh my god! Wow. Um, two of which. You can count as theatrical, even though one debuted on Max during the pandemic. That one's actually pretty good. <laughs> the uh, live action one, air quotes, though the one that looks like Roger Rabbit. This is the first, though, the first of those movies, because I have a I'm feeling very... this Tom and Jerry, the movie. the movie, the movie, and it had, it at least, it does so much wrong. Tom and Jerry should be the most lavish thing uh, animated on screen. This movie is not. It's directed by Phil Roman, who at this point is like riding high in a Simpsons contract. Oh, no, they, they're, they're about to take over the Simpsons um, from Klasky Chupo. But this claim to fame was Garfield. Uh, but Tom and Jerry is still a huge hit in syndicated cartoons. It does one thing right, and that's by doing a lot of things wrong. Because like we certainly can't make a movie about animated characters, even though these characters have been in animation for fucking hours. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing is that when you look back at animation, especially from like the 40s, mm-hmm. 40s into the 50s, they're basically a continuation of silent film. There's like yes. a lot of gags that are stolen from silent film. And Tom and Jerry is up there with, you know, Coyote and Roadrunner as being exactly Pure that. Silent. It is it is just a silent film gag machine. And then what do they do with Tom and Jerry the movie? What yeah, do they, they do? I... Make them Talk and sing. I have I have a clip, and it's the one thing right that they do. My owners left me behind when they moved. The name is Pugsy. What's yours? I'm Tom. I'm Jerry. You, you talked. Well, sure I talk. What do you think I am, a dummy? You said it. I didn't. Ah, you little pipsqueak. So the at least the casting of Richard Kind as as Tom. <laughs> Tom. Yeah. He's a great animated voice, and I've only heard him like in one super stellar thing, Bing Bong, forever Bing Bong. But he was he was technically the first voice of Tom. Tom had talked in the past, but I think everybody prefers yeah. his massive scream, uh, and definitely don't want to see them singing for eighty minutes. This movie yeah. is wrong, 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 wrong. Oh, that was what maybe more depressing to me than Tom and Jerry talking, which is so depressing to me, <laughs> is to see that. Oh, yeah, they realized, oh, shit, yeah, Disney Renaissance, they love musicals, so let's make this a musical. And and they, they got late career Henry Mancini Henry and Leslie Brickus. Mancini. It's, it's, it's the only time I've seen a composer advertised above the title, because that is like, how did we get this? Right. <laughs> and the songs, not so good. Not, not so good. Not so good. Um, ask Tony yeah. Bennett if he did his best songwriting in his 70s. He will probably say... Uh, no. R.I.P. Tony. R.I.P. Tony. Um, moving on. Moving on to a movie, this movie 
I yeah. oh, so I was happy to see this bombed because I know it did well on like VHS I have for to very imagine. tiny kids because little kids have no taste. But um, wow, yeah, this was a well, I, the box office. I have a, a, a shitty theory about that, Diana, and and, mm-hmm. and only you might care about it. Long ago, Ted Turner had purchased like what the pre nineteen eighty six rights to uh, Tom and Jerry, and then they were absorbed. Even animation fans who are like thirty years or younger would associate Tom and Jerry with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers wouldn't pull this kind of shit with their characters, Looney Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, but they really like ringed Tom and Jerry. Warner Brothers did because it wasn't theirs. They acquired it. It was hugely famous. So Tom and Jerry kids, they have 18 straight to voice, uh, straight to video movies. Um, didn't really care about the characters, kind of used them for anything they could even have a couple of decent video games. Anyway, moving on to the next film, which I'm happy to say I watched to celebrate one of my favorite comedic performances from someone we recently lost. And that's Alan Arkin. Ugh. Alan Arkin, I'd never seen him before this movie. And he's incredibly funny as the police captain who is not stereotypically mean enough to... (laughs) You say the commissioner's all over my... I don't really have a commissioner. I'm hired by a board of people. Uh, That's the kind of thing like, well, that's a whole movie right there. It is. Yeah. (laughs) I want to make... I watch mild-mannered police I see. I I, I say, like, reflexively his line, Captain, I never stole a car. Now that sounds like a lot of fun. And <laughs> I never commandeered a car. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, Alan Arkin, Brenda Fricker, Amanda Plummer, Anthony LaPaglia, Nancy Travis, Mike Myers, the underrated So I Married an Axe Murderer is out 30 years ago. Charlie, have you ever stood at the edge of a subway platform with someone and when you thought just for, for a split second, what if I pushed them? No, not really. Usually I follow the Judeo-Christian ethic of thou shalt not kill, yeah, but that's yeah, just no, I, me, I, I, you know. know. And look how vulnerable we are. And I could do anything to you in your sleep. Stick a needle in your... So I married an axe murderer. Rated PG-13. Oh, because I I don't know that my friends and I saw this in theaters, but the, the hello and the poem shit was like, that was our catchphrase this summer from the marketing mm-hmm. of this film. And I didn't see it until video, but Mike Myers following up on his Wayne's World success. And I, I was very confused by this until like a recent behind the scenes thing. But yeah, this is Mike Myers capitalizing on his Wayne's World fame. He's not the writer, he's not the producer, but he was apparently an extraordinary pain in the ass on set. And Yeah, well, yeah, I understand him wanting to take a pass at the script mm-hmm. and, you know, Myers it up a little bit and, uh, not enough to get a WGA credit, apparently. But yeah, this is a you know pre-existing script, and it's a good fit. I mean, that's what you should be. That's one of those things you want to do if you're growing as an actor. Is mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have to write everything for yourself. You should stretch out and try stuff. I don't. I just don't imagine in the middle of the script. Um, uh, Woody Harrelson. At this point, you go and meet your father, who you play, who is Scottish. That has to be right. Be a well, Mike that, Myers. That's edition. the Myersing it up there of like, oh, he is officially wanting to be Peter Sellers. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone, cut, uh, we all caught up. He wants to be Peter Sellers because yeah, he's going to play his own dad. Pete he's going to do the Scottish. Thing. No. He's been doing Scottish stuff for thirty years. Everyone, it, it, yay! It is the first Mike Myers multi performance. Um, and for and uh, but also maybe Diana can speak on this beautiful San Francisco movie. Oh, I mean that is my favorite thing about this because i think overall it's a pretty fun movie it's mm-hmm. like you know it 
feel like you use a little bit of tinkering here and there, but overall it's pretty fun. If you don't like Mike Myers' shtick, you're going to get sick of this movie. But it's also like this is the San Francisco that I moved to, yeah. you know, and they make it look really good. Except that if your job is beat poetry at Vesuvio, <laughs> which is a real bar that I, yeah. I hung out at a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're lucky, you get to live in a walk-in closet that costs $2,000 a month. Yeah. <laughs> like, you cannot live. You will die. Like, you're not even, you can't even afford to be homeless for that kind of money. <laughs> is that his job, or is that just something he does for fun? I, I get the feeling it's something he, he does for he, fun, but they don't elaborate on whatever his job might be. Right. I I don't know, but, oh, yeah, there's a, all beautiful locations all around San Francisco. You get to see everything just looking so nice and yeah and and the fact that it's like yes people actually live here it's lived in like you can just go to alamo square park and hang out you don't have to recreate the opening to um whatever that fuck fucking show is um why can't i remember this streets of san francisco a uh, full no. house full house thank you full house i was <laughs> i was thinking of every other family sitcom from the 80s and 90s somehow and couldn't yeah you don't have to do any recreations you can just enjoy that park because it's pretty yeah people and... just go there there's, I will always. The thing is, if I ever go there, I am absolutely 100% recreating Full House. I'm. It'll I'm cost you. Go, we can pay the tolls. Better get your, <laughs> better get your easy pass. All right. So I watched this with zero nostalgia for oh. it. I remember yeah, I... loving Wayne's World, and I was like, oh my gosh, Mike Myers is coming out with something else. I got to watch it. And then all my friends said, it sucks. Don't bother. Go see it. It's not Wayne's World. So I never saw this. I did get inundated with various catchphrases from this film you know right. um this one pissing was in the bitches quoted... ocular cavities like great <laughs> phil hartman cameo my friends call me vicky <laughs> <laughs> but like the giant head quote that was told yeah. to me all the time look at the size of that boy's head i'm not kidding it's like an orange on a toothpick you're gonna give the boy a complex well that's a huge noggin it's a virtual planetoid. Has its own weather system. <laughs> Heed! Move! <laughs> all, all the funny parts of this film, the ones I actually enjoyed and laughed at, are the parts that have nothing to do with him marrying an axe murderer. You know, right. it's that cop scene when the cop is like, okay, now I'm going to be a tough guy. Did I do a good job? Was that what you wanted? Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> you really made it work for me. But the main plot of this was not entertaining, and the main plot jokes were not entertaining. It was those side digressions that actually have laughs. It, it, is, it is strange, because I do think, other than that, the end, I think, is pretty hilarious. Like, once they get to their honeymoon, mm -hmm. I think is really funny. And I think that's where you see most of my... When he, he gets kicked in the nuts, then kicks the woman in the nuts, like... Um, that's Mike Myers. The rest of it is kind of formulated romantic comedy, but there's, if this was a better movie, there's like a Scott Pilgrimy thing in here. Like uh, how you've, mm. you've been through all these women because you're incredibly immature and you think this woman's going to trying, you think your new wife is trying to kill you because you are right. that paranoid and that emotionally unready. And the mm. script doesn't you're really looking... find that. Yeah. It, mm. it, the, I, when there's a little bit of hints of that was what mm. I liked it the most, where it's like, yeah, no, you think she's an axe murderer because you're looking for any excuse to get away from her. Mm -hmm. 
and she's like perfect for you and so you have to invent something stupid and it turns out now actually there is an axe murder running <laughs> there around. is an axe murder but somewhere what i think could and nothing against nancy travis who i think is is always you know very light and fun mm -hmm. and relatable presence but they were talking to sharon stone Whoa. and that would have been Whoa. so funny because huh. she also wanted to play two characters she wanted to play the wife and the sister and they were like nah but the idea uh, there's so much because she's you know we're only what a year out year and change from basic instinct also set in san francisco yeah so much of the joke could be she is so far out of mike myers's league yeah but why is she interested in him? she must be a serial killer no Oof. she just really likes him that's all like there's so many fun directions they could have gone with that yeah but yeah and it's i think it's like the biggest the biggest for me it's like the biggest movie nancy travis has ever been in she's always been kind of a utility woman and the wife in a sitcom and uh yeah and 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 she at least has a little more interesting things to do but she's perfect for playing that role of someone who's so nice she doesn't realize she can do better than the main character she's with. That's what she's perfect <laughs> at. But and in, in my secret stories, I love this movie so much. I wanted to be and dress like Mike Myers, and I found it was the first time I saw an LL Bean catalog. Oh, he's wearing that shirt in this scene. That's how much I liked this movie. I had, yes. I'd like uh, at the time. Sorry. You're such an impressionable child. I'm I, like, this is my big SNL period, and this was part of my SNL collection. I think that probably occurs like one year later. As I was wrapped up in the 20th anniversary of SNL and that happened. Anyway, because speaking of comedy. Yeah, I, I, I am surprised we have two very silly comedies up against each other. I think um, I, I tend to put this as a bookend to one of the best comedy careers history has ever known. I know there's another, but, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there is another. There is another. <laughs> Patrick Stewart, Isaac Hayes. <laughs> Let's pause and realize how often can we say that. Uh <laughs> Tracy Ullman, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> 19 years 19. old. Wow. 19. Uh, yes. Amy Asbeck, Roger Reese, and of course, Carrie Elways, speaking in English accent. Robin Hood, Mel Brooks's Robin Hood Men in Tights. 20th Century Fox presents... Ow. I challenge you to a duel. The first action hero. Except. And the last word in company. White men can't jump. Robin Hood, men in tights. And why should the people listen to you? Unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. <laughs> A Mel Brooks film, <laughs> The Legend at its Coming, rated PG-13, starts Wednesday. Ah, timeless, timeless Prince of Thieves joke. <laughs> and this is so Prince of Thieves. I wonder if Diana can well... even enjoy it. I, I feel like it's making fun of the old-timey Robin Hood as well. It's, it, there is a pretty solid mix of... There are two things we're making fun of yeah. here. We're making fun of 1937's Adventures of Robin Hood, very specifically, and also very specifically Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, because that was a huge hit last year, and it's stupid. Yeah, and I, I, I don't... <laughs> this didn't fare well, critically or commercially, but like for my generation... Come on, it's just HBO. Well, HBO yeah. played this every day. It very well, actually. Did it? Uh, yeah, because it was made. It's made on a budget. Mel Brooks doesn't spend money. <laughs> you don't need to spend a whole bunch of money, even though like there's big sets and stuff. I was going like, to. Every know. exterior is referencing Men in Tights or Prince of Thieves because the exteriors are big. 
Yeah. There were a couple of moments where I was like, in a modern day, that would be CGI and that would look horrible, but it's much more funny because I know it's real. Like they move a castle in front of you and it's <laughs> the foundation that remains and it's like real and it works humorously much better because of that reality. Mm. Yep. So, yeah, we're definitely on the Mel Brooks down slope. I think Spaceballs this... probably his last, like, really good movie, and that was 1987. Life Stinks kind of surprised me, as, like, having film. some moments that were interesting. Um, that Like, you could remake that, and you could improve on it. And we have Robin Hood, and we have Dracula. That's Dracula, it. Dead and Loving It is yeah. the last, but that is the huge, like... You know, you should retire now. Yeah, Hollywood saying goodbye, Mr. Brooks. Find find some luck in another medium. Yeah, and I'm worried that we're going. I'm really worried, honestly, that we're going to podcast curse Mel Brooks because he just turned 97. Knock yeah. on wood, and he's not allowed to die. I won't allow it. I mean, my family even goes so far to watch the Twelve Chairs every so often because we're a big Mel Brooks yeah. family. All of his contemporaries are gone. Everybody in his classic movies is gone except for him. Yeah. It, yeah, 96. that's weird to think. Yeah, yeah. Gene, Gene Wilder's gone, and Cleveland Little's gone, and Marty Feldman's gone, and, and Roger Reese is gone. I love Roger Reese in this as the Sheriff of Rottingham. Adam Con, Harvey Corman, all gone. Yeah, yeah. Ro Roger Reese uh. is a guy that he's the total. Hey, it's that guy. I remember him as Robin Colcourt from Cheers, and it's like he shows up, is super snooty for one scene, kills it, disappears. That's like his job, and it's nice that he gets like a actual like a little bit more meat to his. Wow. To, have fun 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 times on screen he looks like he's having fun i wonder if like dave Chappelle will be the last person who can tell minute story. stories yeah and because and i i somebody was 18 when this made somebody needs to have that prolonged discussion because dave Chappelle was kind of you know he got started very young in comedy and like i didn't wreck like i didn't recognize comics at this point i don't think like i i knew that Richard Lewis guy looks familiar, but like, you know, I'm not, there's no curb your enthusiasm and I'm not watching, you know, evening at the improv late at night, but it's great casting for people who are like primarily standups and like to see that potential in Dave Chappelle, like, I think like two or three years before the comedy industry caught on, it, mm -hmm. it is pretty incredible. Yeah. He'd been on Def Comedy Jam at this point. Yeah. That was kind of it. Brood much. And yeah, it's everyone is good. They're just there's more groans than there are laughs. Like it's true. There's a there's a couple jokes that dated. I was surprised how few jokes dated. You know, a Patriot missile joke is probably the the most dated <laughs> reference in the whole damn thing. You know, it just sometimes there, there just aren't enough jokes, man. And the pacing feels weird. It feels like people are standing around waiting for the laughs to die down, but there aren't laughs. It just feels <laughs> off. The odd thing a, to me though yeah. was that I remembered 90% of these jokes. Yeah. Like I have not <laughs> rewatched this film since the last millennium. Mm -hmm. Um so to still remember those jokes, it's like is there something there or did I just watch it too many times on HBO? I it's I think it's a part of that because I can't it, I I can examine this a little cuz my sister watches this like Every time I'm over at my parents' house, it gets thrown in a DVD player. I'm like, ah, again? <laughs> because, like, this is technically not a great movie, but I have much yeah. love for it. Um, and, and that's all I have to say. I, I don't know if it's that recommendable, but, like, you know, yeah. I grew up on it like like baby's milk. And it's always sat fine with me. 
but there's a lot of groaners in the film. That's, but yeah. uh, fun, fun performances, cool cameos. Um, yeah, good double feature with So I Married an Axe Murder, real life. Like this is like what I threw on, what I recorded off television and re- and watched repeatedly throughout, you know, my my early teenage years. Those two movies. I'm, I'm shocked they came out on the same week. I had no idea. <laughs> Oh my God! And if I can transition, speaking of something I taped off of television, the most sexual nudity because before that, Revenge of the Nerds had the most nudity that I could rewind over and over again until I recorded the next film off of an HBO oh. free preview. Oh, oh! Real quick on the last movie, I did want to ask: Robin Hood Men in Tights was my first exposure to chastity devices. I did not <laughs> know that that was something until I watched Robin Hood Men in Tights. It's a true. Pre-internet world. It's true. Uh, I to- I'm totally with you on that. It took me a long time to connect those dots. Mm. I never do explain, wait, why does Robin's dad have the key to her chastity belt in the first place? Ew. And then die and leave it to someone. Ew. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. The answer is ooh. Well, ew. I-, I, already, I already did my ooh in a failed segue to the next film. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Let's talk about movies that don't age. Oh yeah. Cause... I mean, this was co- at the time people were like a little, a little miffed, a, feeling a little controversial. And I watched this, and I wanted, to, I was like running around the house screaming. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> but it does have boobies and naked sushi. And so. full, it had. It, it was the first thing I had taped with full frontal when I could just, you know. Get my jollies from looking at pubic hair. Jesus Christ, what a more innocent time. Uh, Tatiana Pites, uh, Carrie Hiroyuki uh, Tagawa, Tia Carrera. I had no idea Harvey Keitel was in this, and I probably put this in my VCR like 900,000 times. That's how long it's been. Wesley Snipes and Big Star, thanks to a movie we talked about on Patreon.com slash LazerTime, sort of changes the course of his career. Sean Connery as our senpai. It's number one at the box office based on Michael Crichton's book, Rising Sun. Rising Sun is smart, sexy, provocative entertainment. To give this country away. Nobody forced us to do it. Sean Connery is one of the great movie stars. Never underestimate your opponent. And Wesley Snipes is right there with him. We have a murder here. I want to solve it. Powerful, gripping, intense, and intelligent. You are to blame here. The best picture of the year. Rising Sun. Best picture of the year. Who said that? I'm going back. Shout, shout out to the Come See the Paradise music. It's used in every fucking trailer for the rest of the 90s. <laughs> and so, yeah, Rising Sun, based on the Michael Crichton novel, it's a, a murder takes place at a Japanese-owned corporation in Los Angeles. And then these two cops have to come in and solve it. And one of them is like an expert in Japanese stuff. And, and all the corporate guys are like super sinister because they're Japanese. Oh my God, this movie's so racist. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that Michael Douglas Japanese movie we had to watch recently. Black Rain. Black Rain. And up until yeah. that point on this show, that was the most like culturally insensitive Japanese panic at best. Like, look at these weird little aliens who aren't like us. And this movie is somehow meaner despite coming out years later because I think the Japanese panic of like, they're going to eat us alive is way subsided. 
Uh, it's it's near its crest. Uh, Japan is about ready to have a economic meltdown, mm-hmm. and they're going to lose a ton of money and go into a couple of decades of stagnations, which still hasn't climbed out of. Honestly, mm-hmm. your average Japanese is is not much richer today than they were in 1993. Um, but in 1993, <laughs> Michael Crichton was very much on the "we have to fear these people." It is a scary thing, and I'm writing this book to warn you about him. And do you know the name <laughs> of Sean Connery's character? Please, please, please tell me. John Connor. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They only say it a couple times in the movie because I was like, "What? did I click on the right thing? Okay, this is still <laughs> Rising Sun. John Connor is going to save humanity from the Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Who are basically robots. They're basically super corrupt robots. They say it is... Look, as a classic film fan, you end up watching a lot of stuff that's pretty racist. Mm-hmm. And in the 40s, we had a ton of movies, usually starring Richard Liu, uh, where the the stereotypical Japanese bad guys are super, super evil. Because it's during the war, and obviously, yeah, sure. That they haven't updated those stereotypes in 50 fucking years is kind of baffling. Now, credit where credit is due. Oh, I forgot to... Mako is also in this movie, Mako. and he is treated... As, as with respect, he's you know a, he, he plays a respectable kind of guy. At least this movie stars actual Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa is always fun as a bad guy because he just looks he just looks mean. Mm-hmm. He's just got mean eyebrows. But the whole point of this movie is that uh, yeah the Japanese are so foreign and robotic to us. They cannot be trusted. They're here to do evil stuff. And why? Because they want our white women. And, and Yes. The sexual deviance portion was just like, you know, I can name more white celebrities off the top of my head who are into the whole choking thing that we know about. Yeah. Har- of- There's a scene where Harvey Keitel looks in and sees a Japanese guy with a couple naked white ladies. And he literally says, they're plundering our natural resources. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to pause and take a walk. I was like, oh, my God. Now, I know he's not supposed to be a good character, but Sean Connery, as expert Japanese guy, it's more stuff of, like, we have to do this to save... Let him save face. Face, Saving face is the most important thing to the Japanese. (laughs) Could you talk about them like they're people, please? They're fucking people. Uh, it it it, It did have one of my favorite lines from him about the Japanese and it just I like if you're you know on the internet like us we're yelling like how the fuck is Elon Musk allowed to do this are there no regulations in place can you not out someone tanking a company i thought shareholders had a say and then he's just like uh don't attack don't attack, uh, blame the person blame the problem attack the problem the way they their way is better and like yeah, regulation. <laughs> that's how the Japanese yeah. do it. Oh boy! So that's yeah, that line they, super stuck with me. Yeah, they are so they're so you know sinister and inscrutable. Oh, and then we get in, then we get Tia Carrera to come in to like also tell us about how they're they're racist and they're mean to people with disabilities. Yes, and okay. and and you're ostracized from Japanese society for dating a gaijin like when was this movie made like <laughs> like right. there's there's way too many friends of mine who have done they, such a thing um yeah they they just oh my ah, ah 
God. And JR lived in Japan, so I, I, how many things can you swat to the ground? That Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is very much a product of its time. Let's mm. say that it that way. I'm confused because I, I feel like this is more... This is more dated than most movies will get in 1993. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, there is... I try to do research for the show, and mm. there is, like, nothing on this movie. You cannot find, like, think pieces. You cannot find people podcasting on it. It's just, like, this is one of the biggest movies to go down the memory hole because, as I said, the Japanese economy is going to crash in one year, and yeah. China is going to rise and take up all that... Uh, intellectual space and it's going to be like no one cares about this anymore at all and it's not really an interesting thriller they're just throwing this amazing technology oh my god laser disc oh my god it is cool things it it, it, more so than it fears the japanese it fears fucking like photoshop 3 it, yeah (laughs) (laughs) adobe photoshop 3 it is terrified and not that it's wrong it's but it's just like it, it just struck me like Man, the plus fifty crowd had a lot of movies aimed at their demographic. Here's a book you read twenty years ago, and now movies marketed at f- the forty plus are us, like a uh, Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I don't think people my dad's age kind of get movies geared toward them anymore. But like, uh, yeah, Michael Crichton was a huge author, and blah blah blah. I, I think I, I still find it. This way out of place. This feels much older than any other movie I think we'll talk about this year. Yeah. If this were made in 1983, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Besides just the idea that the Japanese will eat us alive with their incredible economy. Yeah. It, it really is the culture stuff of just like, you know, actually, you know what this movie made me think of? Alien Nation with Mandy Patinkin <laughs> and James Conn. <laughs> oh. That is also a murder mystery that's all that, that also has like a, a you know, conf, a, a culture clash at the center of it. Alien Nation treats literal space aliens with more humanity and respect than Rising Sun treats yeah. people from Japan. And, 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 and Diana is someone who watches a bunch of stuff from the 40s, not excusing it, but like, you know, war and lack, lack of knowledge, like some of that paranoia, like it's not acceptable, but I get it. Like, you know, Pearl Harbor was weird and is going to make the country weird for a little while. This is so long after. This, <laughs> this is the, the Japanese are making most things that we like right now and, and video games and uh, becoming animation powerhouses. Everything you're watching on Fox kids comes from an animation studio from Japan. Uh, I, I, I did, it didn't click anything in my brain, but now it's just like this, this kind of, not I don't want to I don't want to blanket them as racist, but this is kind of pretty blatant racism throughout this film. <laughs> it's, yes, it's, yeah, yeah, and there's a way they could have done it, tamp it down on the racism, just, and just make it a corporate thriller. Yeah, uh, with some culture clash stuff that could have been interesting, but they it feels like they go out of their way. The fact that 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 Die Hard handles a Japanese corporate buyout like so much more like modernly like, than yeah, this movie right. what does. Do you, what do you want? Yeah. Nakatomi. Seems like mm. a good guy. Whatever. This tower seems like the extension of Nakatomi. It though. does. It's like mm. this tower is not just a Japanese company. It's like it's Japan annex with super it's, technology. and It's symbolic of, of our new corporate conquerors. Yep. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nakatomi yep. wasn't. And just I, I remain shocked 
This movie was shocking all the way. Very not recommended. No. But on no, that. Sorry, Rising Sun. Absolutely not. Uh, and then moving on to television, 1993, uh, the 28th of July through uh, August 3rd. Very, very, very sorry, listeners, but we have to say goodbye to Johnny Bago. It's been a whirlwind. <laughs> yes. It's been a yes. whirlwind. All, all what? Four episodes? <laughs> well, okay. There, four episodes aired. There oh. are eight episodes of Johnny Bago out there. Wow. Uh, so in the very last one, Johnny saves the wo- world. Our hero, and let's be honest, our friend, Johnny Bago. <laughs> Comes across a boyfriend-girlfriend couple working in a secret government nuclear silo. That couple has a fight. The girlfriend decides she's going to launch a fake nuclear missile because the missile got removed last week in order to convince her boyfriend that he still loves her. And Johnny has to stop her by playing a game of strip go fish. Wow. Like you do. Wow. This is why we can't have a lady president, y'all. <laughs> uh, there, I got yeah. the eye roll out of Diana I wanted. It, I didn't make Johnny Vago. But... No, Wayne yeah. did, though. It's created by Penelope Spheris, bringing it back to what? Wayne's world. Wow. <laughs> and it's like I... the only new show this summer, so we get to talk about it. Yep. Uh... I, I had such a spot for this show in my heart in the summer of 1993. And after that, I had no proof it existed. Like there was <laughs> just nothing until the internet age. And now that I've got to revisit it, wow. My uh, my 15-year-old tastes were something. Yeah, I mean, they were something, all right. I understand. I'm with you. We exalt Herman's head just because this is, <laughs> this is with a huge caveat, the most interesting live action thing on television uh, but doesn't yep. hold a candle to like 2004 television uh, and then and then a show I'd never heard of uh, Fallen Angels debuts on Showtime Sydney Pollack Ooh. producing yeah yeah this is one I've I'd heard of and was always interested in but didn't have Showtime and then forgot about it but all you had to say is film noir tales from the crypt I'm yeah. there man yeah I'm produced there. by Sydney Pollack and uh, narrated by Miguel Farrar uh, holy shit! What the fuck is this? And it's and it's thirty is, minutes of digestible digestible anthology content. Is there any city that is like so frozen in a specific movie moment in time as post war Los Angeles? Like, if you say noir, mm-hmm. you always think post war Los Angeles. You never go like Chicago, Miami. It, it, Honolulu, Austin, it's always Los Angeles well, for that. Yeah. As, as a Floridian Miami. without AC and railroads, that state is inhospitable. So <laughs> there wasn't much, there wasn't much 1940s content, but it's, it, it's a beautiful mix. In my opinion, it's, I'll let, I'll steamroll over whatever Diana has to say, having lived there in a film and uh, a mix of, you know, they kind of keep their skyscrapers local. You can recreate the skyline pretty easily and, it's been making movies since then. It has all the props from 19... It's the easiest place to make the 1940s because it does revere its history a little more because it's crystallized in film and has has the has the Tucker cars in some Jay Leno backlot mm-hmm. to populate the streets anytime you want to yep. film one of these scenes. Yeah, it is weird to say that. Yeah, Los Angeles for film noir. And then maybe New York, and then maybe San Francisco. We get, we we slide in there just a, a little tiny bit because of Sam Spade. 
but <laughs> yeah this just uh i mean the reviews are sort of mixed because you know it's an anthology so every right. episode's different but they got in like a ton of really good directors they got in alfonso cuaron before a lot of wow, people had heard what? of him tom cruise directs one tom hanks directs one i think they got soderbergh for a couple wow. it's like is this available fucking anywhere now YouTube. uh odds are probably no i'm gonna look it up it's on youtube like in full really mm-hmm. oh nice um, not, not, uh, not the best quality, but it wasn't really shot with the best quality. I actually, it, it probably was shot on film, so it could, they, they oh, could have, yeah, sure they could remaster it a little better, but it is transfers from someone's VHS. But mm. I, I, yet again, one of those shows like, holy shit, this looks cool. Um, never heard anybody talk about it. Fallen Angels on Showtime. Um, yeah. Thank you, Maurice Cobbs, on YouTube for the complete series. <laughs> it has 14,000 views, the entire series. That's how much people are talking about it. I very clearly see Gary Busey starring in episode six. Um, <laughs> moving on to video games of 1993, September, July 28th through August 3rd. Baby, it's Goof Troop. They'll always be together on the <laughs> Super Nintendo. I think this is the best Disney game on the Super Nintendo. Ooh, I was going to say, we were going to get in a fight. Um, Nope. I'm not going NES, but I am saying Super Nintendo. It's a top-down co-op action puzzle game. Mm -hmm. You don't get many of those. It's a light breeze. You can finish it in not much time with a bud. It is still a fun game today. Yeah, uh, co-op. Yeah, I think it's where the Resident Evil director cut his teeth on the the Goop Troop game. Uh, yeah, it, it, Capcom had it. I would say it's it's Disney content. Capcom's Disney content on the Super Nintendo is just as good, possibly better than it is on the NES. It's just those properties weren't as strong. Bonkers, mm-hmm. and it had the shittier looking Aladdin, but they're great games. And it was like more amazing to play Scrooge McDuck in 1988. Yeah, absolutely. Than it was to play. Simba in 1993. Absolutely, you know? and and this the Goof Troop has a little more interesting ideas under the hood. Like, kind, it's not, it's kind of pioneering. I, I forget, I can't even place the genre, but like, who would have thought to make a Goof Troop game like this, co-op, top-down, uh, interesting puzzles, and the other game I know much less about Evo, Evo Search for Eden for Super Nintendo. What? So this was not popular when it came out. This is a rare game that has never been released, will never be released because the company that made it went out of business. The rights are all lost up. It's never going to be on any platform you can play. And yet you can find YouTube videos on it, multiple YouTube videos, all with over a million views. This is a niche video game, Mm. a cult video game. And we don't see very many of those. It was, I played it when it came out, and I fell in love with it. Mm. I think evolution is an amazing subject for video games to tackle, but they don't very often. This is also a video game which there's never quite been one like it. You start out as a fish, and Mm. you have to eat creatures to get enough evolution points to evolve into a better fish, and then you become an uh, amphibian, and then you become a dinosaur, and then you become a mammal, and then you become a human. And so oh. it, it takes you through billions of years of evolution as an action platformer. <laughs> and it's fun. It's, uh, it has a couple of nifty little digressions. Like there's one point 
where the dinosaurs ask if you will ally with them. And if you agree, then you rule the world until the comet comes and destroys you along with them. Ah. I, I, I just looking at his screen right now, it's like at the, it's in the middle of a level. What would you like to evolve? Horns, neck, body, hands and feet, dorsal fin, tail, back of the head. You sort of create your own being <laughs> as you go. Uh, yeah, and you could save different creatures if you had an interesting one, and you could go back to it. And I'm going to go here. I think it has maybe the most heartbreaking scene in all of Super Nintendo video games. Okay. Oh. Okay. Evolution is red in tooth and claw, and at one stage, you kill a Yeti. Oh. And then the Yeti's children comes out, oh. and it's shown that you killed their dead mother. And then, because that's how this game works, when you kill your enemy, meat comes out of them, and you eat the meat. <laughs> so you have killed and eaten these Yeti children's mother in front of their eyes. I mean, sounds like a great story of revenge to me. A sequel. Yeah, do the sequel, Yetis baby. come back? They, they do they, come back. They come back yes. to get some revenge on you? Uh-huh. Hey. All right, I'm Team Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I was uh, hungry. But yeah, yeah, it's willing to get silly. By the very end, there is a shark riding another shark <laughs> shooting laser beams at you. Really? God bless you, Japan. Take back everything, Rising Sun. Japan gave us sharks riding sharks with freaking laser beams. Freaking laser beams. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I got to... We have a rare uh, book or comic book in here, uh, The Sandman World's End. And I was never able to get into Sandman, but I was transfixed by the the Netflix series to the point where, like, I'm not going to devour this. I'm going to savor this because I really liked it. Um, hmm. But So Sandman the World's End hits um, in 1993. Yeah, there. you know, there are some times when I look at the current pop cultural landscape and I wonder if my younger self made a wish with a genie mm -hmm. that all his pop cultural dreams would come true, but as a result, he would forget that he was responsible for the wish. Because this was not a huge series when it was coming out. Mm -hmm. It was small and niche, and I gobbled it up. And yet now we have a major Sandman series, one of the most expensive uh, Netflix shows ever made come out. Mm -hmm. And the reason people became so passionate about it is because it tackles fantasy and it tackles ideas. Okay. This is, I wish the Sandman series would have more one shots because it's like this dip into this incredible fantasy world where you're not drowned in it. You're just looking around, you see the beauty and then you have to leave in this anthology series. Uh, you have, a city dweller finding himself in the dream of the city. So the city is the one who's dreaming. Uh, you find a, a flamboyant fairy, not meaning homosexual, being actual <laughs> fairy, uh, which is sent to basically imperial Rome to represent the fairy folk in the political struggle there. You have a girl po posing as a boy named Jim, going to see and encountering uh, mythical sea creatures. 
You have an alternative history in which U.S. President Richard Nixon is receded, is succeeded by Prez Rickard, who is 20 years old and <laughs> does an amazing job as president. And then you have the fall of a necropolis, a city of the dead. And all of those stories are told at a bar that crossroads multiple realities. It's so deep, it, meaning <laughs> not like, hey, man, that's really deep, but meaning there is so much to swim in each of one of those novel, uh, each one of those short stories, uh, each one of those issues could have been a huge novel all on its own. But we're just given this deepness and then we're swept aside to the next that, show. And that's what compelled me about the show. The first two episodes are like the origins of Sandman. I'm like, that's neat. And then every episode is like a self-contained beautiful tale of a side of i don't know our world people responsible for the world around us and they never are addressed again it's awesome <clears throat> oh so this this all happens at a pub called the world's end yes hello i wonder if we're going to be talking about anything related in less than a month mm, i wonder delicious cornetto moving on mm. to uh music of 1993 can't Help Falling in Love by UB40 is still number one, uh, but we have some other new releases like Haircut by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Yeah. Get a haircut and get a real job. Oh, dad rock forever. Uh, Become What You Are by Juliana Hatfield. Da Bomb by Chris Cross. Ooh, follow-up to Jump. Gimme. Uh, Tuesday Night Music Club, the debut of Sheryl Crow, uh, which won't be a hit until next year, and a little album that nobody liked called Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, which is on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list of all time. Wow. So. Yeah. Good one. Real good one. Yeah. It's kind of a, like that was one of those albums from my youth. Like, is everything on this a single? Oh, my God. Uh, everything <laughs> has a music video. Uh, but we'll close out with Disarm by Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, wonderful little ditty. The track six. I'm trying to remember here, according to my old CDs. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, close out with Disarm by Smashing Pumpkins. But stay right there. Gotta figure out what our wrongest movie is when we get back. like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the laser time crew then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time it supports not only this show but all the rest of the laser time network you'll get commentaries play games with the hosts see exclusive videos first and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time speaking of which here's a quick taste this time we are looking at not one but two James Bond movies that came out in 1983. That's right, listeners. You had to wait oh. seven years for the new James Bond. They got two in <laughs> one year. I really would like this whole scenario to be made into a limited FX series. Ten mm. episodes. <laughs> Holy shit, that had to be a really interesting time. This oh, is yeah. so bizarre. So bizarre. Damn, did the making of Godfather film pick like the worst topic like mm. we keep coming across these far more interesting making up stories than that one i, I don't i think there it, that has a hugely interesting story just not a 
13 episodes? Get out of here. It should go faster because there's so much cocaine involved. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Coming into 2003 with Move Your Feet by Junior Senior off of Don't Don't Stop the Beat, please. Leave the beat alone. Uh, welcome to 2003, July 28th through August 3rd. We got new releases in music, uh, such as Tribe by Queensryche, uh, self-titled album by Killing Joke, Lycanthropy by Patrick Wolf, clever Patrick, uh, Magic and Medicine by The Coral, and Enemies of Reality by Nevermore. Crazy in Love by Beyonce featuring Jay-Z is still number one. Uh, man, don't or move your feet. Such a fun song. Gets stuck in your head. Really cute eight bit animated video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, never yeah. seen it before. A uh, little bit of no, new. You have it? Oh, it's yeah. Gosh, it's one of those things where because I was working nights, it would like pop up on MTV or something, and I would just be like, "What the hell is this? Yeah. I love this." Not even any oh, graphics. A, it's a Danish pop duo making a video about an eight bit squirrel blowing things up. Okay, <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> A little bit of news to bring you to the world of 20 years ago. Emma Thompson, Mary Sense and Sensibility co-star Greg Wise, they are still together. Yeah. So I guess you could say it was a wise choice. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Or you could say Emma... Lo- no, I can't do that. Um, the last old-style Volkswagen Beetle rolls off the assembly line in Mexico 20 years ago? Yeah. So not yeah. that smoothed-out iPod-looking thing they brought it a couple years later? Holy no. shit. No, I think it was like the 70s. They moved production to Mexico and Brazil where they were much more popular. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, even after they rolled out, you know, the, the new Beetle, the fancy, the, the smooth Beetle, they were still real popular in Mexico where they're just synonymous with taxis. Just wow. a taxi is just a, a green Beetle. And the boomers have such a love affair with the Beetle. You know, for a lot of them, it was their very first car. Yeah. I mean, Herbie the Love Bug. What other <laughs> car gets its own generation-spanning film series? You, know? you have not read yeah. my screenplay for Darnell, the PT Cruiser. It's, <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, especially uh, something that became synonymous with, like, you know, the kind of hippies and free love generation. It's a car that was originated with Ferdinand Porsche and Hitler. True, but Volkswagen is the people's car. It's a cheap, affordable car. car. It's affordable. The original ones topped out at about sixty miles an hour. That's all you need, right? That, that's fine. That's it. I, I don't know a ton of car heads nowadays, and a lot of them. But I have met a couple of Volkswagen heads. There's a, a yeah. That's the circles I travel in, people who love Volkswagens. So my dad got drafted during the Vietnam War, oh. but in induction, he took a test on German uh, language. So he got sent to Germany instead. And nice. he worked there and he got a Volkswagen Beetle and just went all around Europe on it. Wow. Just like he just had so much love and affection for that car just because it was a taste of freedom. And if you get that freedom, 
that's always going to stick with you the rest of your life. Right. Yep. Even if it has no heater and you have to fix it yourself, but it is simple enough that you can do that. Like everyone I know who's had an old Volkswagen bus, a thing. I knew someone who had a thing and a beetle. It's like you learn how to fix it yourself because it breaks a lot, but it's very easy to fix. But they are so fucking loud. And I I had to go looking for the sound. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not pleasant, you, but... You hear them coming. You know, oh, mom's home. <laughs> oh, oh uh, RIP to the Beatle. And um, once again, our hearts go out to people who fought Vietnam on the German front. And uh, <laughs> movies of 2003. First up, we got John Cleese, Rachel Lee Cook, Woody Harrelson, and Alicia Silverstone. You could get me to believe these people were in a movie together, but this could Diana could be making this up. Scorched, scorched. Oh, a movie. oh it's I'm... the big screen adaptation of that TV show we talked about about the talking dragon, right? No, what? Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> Scorch. Scorch. He's a talking dragon, Pompey. Uh, no, oh, this sounds like a cute idea that was executed badly, and it's directed by producer Brian Grazer's brother. And it's about a bunch of different disgruntled bank employees who all rob the place at the same time and don't know that the other ones are robbing it. Good premise. Mm -hmm. Solid idea. Really fun premise. Every review was like, I love this premise. This movie's shit. I'm like, ah, it's a bummer. Why do they title it like a teenage witch movie? Good Um, question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, not. I think it made something like $8,000 at the box office. It basically wasn't released. And that's the end of that. Uh, we also have Louvien Seigneur, uh, Charlie Dance, uh, and Charlotte Rampling in Swimming Pool. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Pod boily erotic thriller. Uh, oh, I yeah. didn't enjoy, but like wasn't in the right mindset for because I tend to read about this movie very well reviewed to this day. Swimming. Pool. Oh yeah, it's it's a little Hitchcocky sort of thriller of sexy sexy times of Charlotte Rampling is like in the south of France trying to write a book. And then this girl shows up and she's like, uh, hey, um, actually, my dad said I could stay here and starts like fucking everyone in the entire countryside. And then there is a murder. murder. And oh, oh, everyone is so hot and bothered. And oh, what do we do about the murder? <laughs> and it's all about like identity and being attracted to what you cannot have and Maybe it was all a dream. Yeah. No, not really. Uh, yeah, a lot of ending but, interpretations there. Yeah. I feel like this is the pattern on this show so much of the time. We have one movie that basically exists but barely got released, but we got to throw it in because you never know. The really good foreign movie. <laughs> and then the two pieces of American crap. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go with some of the finest of American crap. Chris, how do you feel about Midnight Run? Uh, one of the best, most indelible movies of all time. Did you know the maker of Midnight Run is in movie jail for 20 years? I believe it's self-imposed, but yeah. Yeah. And because, it, because of this movie. One of the greatest failures of all time. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, I love talking about that man. Uh, Lenine, Lenny, Lenny, uh, Lenny Kazan, Christopher Walken, Al Pacino. How did he not get scorched by this? Uh, Justin Bartha, uh, and of course, uh, Ben Affleck, J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, and Ben Affleck in Gigli. I'm sorry. Do we know each other? Not yet. 
I guess Lewis would feel more comfortable if there were two independent contractors working on this. I want you to work with her, and I want you to watch her. She will be watching you. Let me tell you something. In every relationship, there's a bull and a cow. I'm the bull. You're the cow. You got that? Yeah, I got it. Bull cow. Reach me, Larry. What? Oh, come on, Larry. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. How Justin Bartha ever got work again? Right. Like, totally... <laughs> Like un- unscathed by this performance. Well, it took him a little while, but eventually, like he's he's the missing guy the in the Hangover movies. Yeah. So he's in the uh, National Treasure and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. Uh, so, Geely. Geely, if you casually like fans or movies twenty years ago or read about them now, this is notorious. And every time I try and look at it, like at the time. Ben Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were one of those tabloid couples, and I think Ugh, people had had enough of them. Unavoidable. And, and yeah, that's why I think everyone was so happy to have this bomb. Yes, I. There are worse movies out there, but the Benefer thing was just like so pervasive that everyone who was sick and tired of it could latch onto this not good movie. And just make it into the worst movie of all time. It's 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 got that weird thing of like when a in the eighties when TV stars would make a movie and like I can see you every day for free. Why would I pay to see this unremarkable movie? And every day you had a fix for Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. Uh, if you were in a grocery store, if you were looking at TMZ, and and I get it, that can kind of be annoying. It just the, this movie is still very bad. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing is it is fun to look at with 20 years reserved. We're, we're away from that. Even though Benefer has reemerged. Yeah. We are. And we're all happy you know, about it. <laughs> we, we don't have to. We're, we're not in that, that uh, you know, tabloid maelstrom. And we can just look at this objectively and see, no, the Knives Out were unfair. But this movie is completely fucking terrible yeah and it deserves its reputation in the long run and that that's i think it sucks most for martin breast because like it wasn't a lot of movies but the role he was on for 10 years uh Mm -hmm. going in style beverly hills cop midnight run scent of a woman fucking fantastic movies that left their marks throughout time and then makes this and it's like was already reclusive like didn't really do interviews this not only directed this, wrote it. It got the kind of reviews it did. Dude went away and has never emerged again. You can only hear from about him from his friends. And yeah, I there is an interview somewhat recently with there? him. I found that um, he said extensive disagreements between the studio and myself got to a point where post production was shut down for eight months while we battled it out because this is supposed to be like a crime comedy. And the studio wanted it to be more like a rom-com. In the end, I left with two choices. I was left with two choices. Quit or be complicit in the mangling of my movie. To my eternal regret, I didn't quit. So I bear responsibility for a ghastly cadaver of a movie. There is a two-hour and 45-minute cut of this out there. Jesus Christ. Oh, unnecessary. I don't know that that would improve things. Because there's so much wrong in this movie anyway. No. So the plot <clears throat> is about a low-level mobster who is tasked with kidnapping a prosecutor's developmentally disabled brother and holding him hostage so that things in some trial go the mob's way. The mob also sends 
uh, Jennifer Lopez as another operator to, you know, keep an eye on everything. And they have a whole bunch of sexual tension, but she's gay. Her girlfriend shows up and tries to kill herself. That goes to nowhere. They start to like the developmentally disabled kid. And it is unfunny and unwatchable. Yeah, 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 it's 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 the performances are pretty grating all around. Even though Jennifer Lopez is, I don't know, sort of channeling her out of sight character, but up to like sitcom degrees. And Ben Affleck, that's not an excusable performance either. <laughs> I, I I'd love nothing more than the report. Like everybody was wrong. The the cultural attitudes colored this film. Uh, this wonderful little gem of a film. Please come back to us, Martin Bress. Please, no. Yeah, no, no, no. But what, what is it about Ben Affleck turning lesbians in movies? That's two now I can think of. It's true, even though you know magic. One was temporary. This, right. <laughs> thanks to thanks to modern retconning. All right, so I have in my hand, please, a holy artifact. I have what I've been holding on to for twenty years: the press kit for Gili, yes, which uh, <laughs> was sent to the newspaper I worked at. It is in a DVD box. It contains uh, the press kit photo photographic CD <laughs> and a little booklet. <laughs> I, I love and that I just, it's, it sent you digital photos that are yes. probably insanely low res on sitting on a CD. Yeah. <laughs> sitting on a CD. Yeah. So the press booklet I love because they have to make everything be a work of genius. And they really have to talk about how much work people put into this like they spend a bunch of time on the set decorator and they have interviews with the cast and uh so quote about the story in many ways affleck says julie breaks all the rules of conventional movies and was for that reason a liberating experience for him as an actor you have a not very likable protagonist whose behavior goes against the grain of how people should behave the woman is not an ingenue julie's attracted to her and also intimidated by her it was exciting to try to do something where you don't have to follow all the normal guidelines of movie behavior. <laughs> also known as, I don't know what anyone's motivation is. Mm. Give me more. Give me more. I love an old press kit. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the pivotal role of Brian, the guileless innocent who changes the destinies of Julie and Ricky, explains Breast, all Brian really wants to to get to is this imaginary place where life will be perfect a kind of hallucinary state based on what he's seen over the years on television he refers to it as the Baywatch, but it's not the tv series he's talking about in essence it's really about all that he lacks in his life normality sexuality being attractive having a date that is really offensive yeah to, uh special needs people yes uh justin bart if we aren't saying it's going full robert downey jr which is just how i describe it now yeah um Non-disclosed developmental disabilities played to 10. Played to a 10. Yeah. And uh, Martha talks about creating the character. Through all the research I did, I noticed one common thread with most of the disabled men and women that I encountered. They are honest, optimistic, and live in the moment. Okay. Yeah. Don't paint them with a broad brush or nothing. Oh, yeah. No, only people are all sweet. Oh, oh, I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> my, my favorite parts on this are actually about the, uh, the, the costume designer and the set decorator, because the whole point is that Larry Gigli has no inner life. And most of the movie takes place in his apartment, which is bare. Yeah. It's exciting. Oh yeah. 
Aesthetically, the interior of the apartment has to suggest Geely's inner turmoil, as if he's thinking, how the hell did I get here? And what the hell am I doing? The effect is realized through the accrual, accrual of minor details. For example, one of the electrical outlets is, has a burn spot on it, as if it's shorted out. What? Like that's, that's important. They're describing that's how my thing. place looks as I slowly gather furniture over the course of a decade without paying full price. Yeah. There's something about how the set decorator realized like he would have no books and he would have no art. Yeah, it definitely looks like a set. Great. <laughs> Compelling. <laughs> but here is my favorite quote of all. Gimme. About the production. The city of Los Angeles might as well be called one of the movie's co-stars. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> so it's the third character. Then. Uh, well, tell tell your third character that is oversaturated and should be more selective. How is Los Angeles a character? They spend most of the time in this apartment and then occasionally like Christopher Walken will show up, give a monologue for no reason and then wander off. Just for a comedy there are so many deeply uncomfortable things in this fucking movie yeah. and that, that make They're it... going to cut that guy's thumb off and then they cut off a corpse's thumb just instead for funsies. Suicide, uh, just uh, developmental disabilities. Maybe if this was directed by the Fairley brothers, the idea mm. of Ben Affleck as this character converting Jennifer Lopez back to men. Right. But also, he gets more in touch with his feminine side. He realizes oh he has been play acting masculinity, which, God damn it, at the very, very root of all this is an interesting idea that you could make a movie about. About right. someone who is super macho to cover up for the fact that they're not macho at all. Uh, Fine. Okay. This... Sure. Not in this fucking movie where people get their heads blown off and then brains land in a fish tank and <laughs> she brains. I, I don't I don't care about like rooting against Benefer here. It's just it the, I think I still hate this movie for losing Martin Breast. Yeah. because uh, yeah, I've I've enjoyed immensely I can't tell you how much fun we had watching Son of a Woman, despite like, yeah, yeah, we've seen it. We know, like, this is fantastic. It's very good. Uh I watch Midnight Run probably once a year. It is one of my favorite films. And Beverly Hills Cop is amazing. It's what showed what Eddie Murphy could do in a solo performance. How does this get like this? It, it, and he, he told us, but like, yeah, man, this, this bums me out. This movie is eight poisoned. Months, poisoned. Eight months to stop and retool. Unbelievable. That, uh, yeah, and then just, oh, no, let's like turn it into a romance now. Well, what? what? Uh, why? J why are you doing this? Jr. went and captured. Um, what? <laughs> what did the uh, uh, Ben Affleck have to say about the film? It's weird because I feel like if I got to interview Ben Affleck, I would never stop asking him about this movie. Well, I I do know one good thing that came out of it, but maybe maybe he talks about that in this clip. Ooh, I don't see. know. Is, this looks like a recent one, a Zoom era yeah. interview. This is a recent clip from Ben on the film. It's not like it's worse than all. The, there's a bunch of horrible movies. And it probably, in terms of losing money, I've had five movies at least that have lost more money than Gilly has. I only made it for $50 million. They killed the P&A spend. You right. know, I mean, Revolution was in profit that year. And there were other movies that came out weeks later that lost more money. It was just that it became a story in and of itself. The funny name, the, the Jennifer Lopez romance and overexposure of that. It was a kind of a perfect storm. I remember talking to Marty on the Friday it came out, and I was like, it's just spectacular. It's like tsunami. 
It couldn't be worse. This is as bad as it gets. But that, that, that contributed to this perception of me and also sort of the way I look. I look at those pictures now and I think I can see how people thought of this person as some like callow frat guy who's cavalier or or does has too much or something. It gendered a lot of negative feelings in people about me. There's that aspect of people that I got to see that was that was sad and it was hard and it was depressing and, and made me really question things and feel disappointed and and have a lot of sort of self-doubt but if Julie hadn't happened i probably wouldn't have or the reaction to Julie hadn't happened i probably wouldn't have ultimately decided like i don't really have any other avenue but to direct movies i was just about to point that out like here it is yep gets kind of in movie jail but ben affleck by all reports nice guy everyone seems to like working with him and and got to make it Mate, what was it? Was it Gone Baby Gone? Was that the first Gone one? Baby Gone? Yeah, it's like something you know, fantastic small budget, mm-hmm. really good actors, fantastic. great story. Didn't even put himself in it. Yeah, does, it, does a great job. Yeah, this bombed. Normally, movies uh, after their fir- the first weekends where they make a huge amount of money and then it drops off. But depending on the movie, it might drop fifty percent. It might drop forty percent. This dropped eighty two percent to its second week, Ooh. and it did not do well its first week anyway. Yeah, that's not good. It was, yeah, everyone heard, this is going to be bad. And then they saw it and, oh, it is just as bad as everyone said. It's like not even fun bad. Yeah. It's just bad. Yeah, it's, 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 that's why it feels wrong. Because it it has all these things that, that probably shouldn't be in a screenplay. Unless, again, the Fairley brothers are doing it. And it is high, high, high comedy. Like, or broad comedy, lowbrow comedy. And uh, it doesn't play it like that. It expects the audience to take it seriously. It again, it feels wrong, uh, but he's Affleck is correct. This is not even the worst Ben Affleck film. <laughs> this is not nowhere close to the worst Ben Affleck film. So yeah, it's interesting you talk about the Farrelly brothers, like a broader style of comedy, lessening, making the violence more cartoonish instead of uh, kind of gross. And it's like, and they would have cast the an actual. They would have the movie they would have, that we're going to talk about next. The movie it's going the, up against is. The Fairly Brothers would have cast Fairly-ish. an actually developmentally disabled person who would get jokes off on the leads because they're good yeah. at that. Yeah. And yeah, but the next movie, um, I don't know that I enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> um, well, a vast improvement over the last one. That's true. Let's go with that. And still, like, there is still something charming, I think, about this trilogy. January Jones. Fred Willard. I'll take that. Um, Eugene Levy, back as dad. Allison Hannigan, Sean William Scott, and Jason Biggs. It's number one at the box office. Closing out the trilogy, for now. American Wedding. The longer a marriage lasts, the longer you can go without sex. Marriage is never-ending. Jim, have you thought this through? You hooked up with one other girl. You're like a blind man picking out his favorite porno. Michelle, will you marry me? Yes. We get to have a bachelor party. Back away from the animal. American Wedding. Uh, that, that James song gets a lot of mileage from me. I really, <laughs> I really <laughs> like what American Pie chose. It seemed. If you've been with us, we've been officially through the main American Pie trilogy and we all were kind of taken aback with like the first American Pie is kind of a charming a, a very a much sweeter 
comedy than I remembered. It's gross out, but it is about like being young and trying to lose your virginity in a way that's not super fucking misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the movie, the second movie is not. And the second movie is has like no reason to exist. Yeah. And it, it's like not even a movie. Yeah. And I, but, but, but oh, for the you first... know who we, you know who we left out of the credits though? Who? Eric Allen Kramer, who plays the big gay bear in this movie, who is also little John and Robin Hood men in tights. Oh my God. I thought oh, I recognized wow. him. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. That's for him. I totally. Yeah. Wow. I just put that together and I watched both of those this week. Uh, this is a little better. I just like I could never get over like, why'd you have this wedding and not invite most of your friends? <laughs> Chris Klein can't come. Natasha Leone can't come. They these were yeah. big parts. Tara Reid. They're get- not even mentioned. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of like that. Actually, feels realistic to me that those were their friends from high school and they've left college now. And now, hang on, because now I can officially say it's. Uh, I I I it. I watched this movie when I was at the exact, almost the exact age of these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Stifler character is no longer like, it's not only no longer funny. I, this may, was it ever funny? He sucks in this movie and trying to shoehorn Sean William Scott as a reason to be in this movie. The friend nobody likes is somehow yeah. s- like a groomsman. <laughs> of- well, no, I appreciate the idea that they finally have realized, no, Stifler is the villain. Mm-hmm. He is the villain of, of the film. He is a horrible <laughs> person and you should be away from him at all times. And he f- figures out how to ingratiate himself so that they can't get rid of him. Yes. Does have a bit of an arc. And this isn't the end of the movie. I think the actually the reunion movie is a, l- a little better. But Yeah, uh, and I got to say, it's time for another American Pie film. Yeah. Okay. Mm. With them and their kids are now yeah. starting to have sex. If you do the math, you know. Oh, my God. Kids should be entering puberty in high school right now. So just have them as parents dealing with the fact that their kids are starting to have sex. Or have have Eugene Levy like just bounce around like a pinball into rooms where different points of his lineage are masturbating. Uh, <laughs> my grandson and my grandson. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, but yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, this this one, I think it makes, uh, it, it improves on things so much because there are actually some stakes. Mm-hmm. And so much of this is about like embarrassing comedy mm-hmm. and there's people to be embarrassed in front of because your whole family is there because it's a fucking wedding and you've got like your future in-laws are there to, you can be embarrassed in front of them. And the second one is like, who are you going to be embarrassed in front of some girl at a beach house? Yeah. Like I, I, I loved embarrassing myself in front of my friends at the American pie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll ride this razor scooter naked and really accidentally fall off. And everyone's laughing. and like, this is the opposite of traumatizing. I made all my friends laugh and feel great about it. Uh, <laughs> but yes, my, uh, what would you call it? My future in-laws? Oof. Oof. Oh, mm. do I hate the idea of it. Yeah. Um, and just like, yeah, and they're like trying to put on a good face and have your embarrassing friend just not shut up. And then, yeah. So, I mean, only about half the cast is back. And, you know, but they've added January Jones as Allison Hannigan's sister, who... Plays one of the dumbest women that's ever lived, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just because uh, she's like, I want to talk about French philosophy. And then the guy wants to talk about French philosophy with her. And she's like, just kidding. Let's talk about blowjobs. <sighs> I'm really easily can convinced it. by a guy who acts like shit. I'm like, <clears throat> no. <laughs> Opposites no. can attract. I've, I've seen it. 
yeah, n- no, no, no one, no <laughs> one should ever, ever go near Stifler unless they're very well paid. Yeah. No, but I mean, they do, you know, one up some gags that they previously had. There's someone's going to have to eat poop. Someone's going to fuck a grandma. <laughs> I could have done without that. That, that was some, I mean, some of the setups are just like so contrived. It's like, yes. I see where you're going. You don't have to do it this way, but okay, we're going. All right, let's just get it over with now. And I, we should say there's an entire like straight to video, I think like seven fucking movies that come yeah. out, at least After th- this, two more yeah. trilogies, yeah. but involve none of these casts. So that they're, they're kind of irrelevant. Those are the spinoffs. They don't really count it's it's like those national lampoon movies that just put yeah. the national lampoon but some of them contain eugene levy to connect the universe together and it's true because <laughs> uh, he's great and he'll show up he's a nice guy yeah it so, is it is bizarre to think of this that like this is what re-emerges eugene levy back in the yeah. pop cultural zeitgeist before he really like won everybody at a thing with some old friends and like Shit's Creek quotes out the ass from people much younger than me. So, so Eugene Levy being popular in all these different eras wouldn't have put my chips on that, is what I'm saying. But he, I love the man. Yep. <laughs> we have similar that, eyebrows. <laughs> that's nice. I'm just, yeah, I'm happy. I am happy that they're happy. Uh, also, weird filmmaking news. Um, someone who hasn't made a lot of movies since then, but uh, Jesse Dillon, who directed this, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan's son. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, son, that movie's pretty really? good. When the guy yeah, ate the poop. Um, and... It it ends with a, a Wallflowers cover of Van Morrison. That's the brother. Oh, shit. It's filled with Nepo babies. Yep. Uh, everyone, every, all the Dylans getting paid. I know. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you can do that? Uh, Sorry. Jesse Dylan, really? And they don't, I don't know, they don't. Go with the the original family name. They go with the the fake name they used to pass with the Gensoils. <laughs> Didn't want to say it, but there you go. Uh, can we move on to TV? American Wedding, not terrible, but like you know, it, it, only compared to the second movie, it's it's yeah. non essential at yeah. the very least. I think you could you could go the rest of your life seeing one only one other American Pie movie. American Reunion is the one you want. Yeah, I was gonna say mm-hmm. one and Reunion. That's mm-hmm. all you need. Skip two and three. Yeah, nah. I still really like Allison Hannigan's character, though, a highly sexual yeah. dork, and she's mm-hmm. and she just embodies that this super hot dork. I don't know how she pulls it off. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, I I guess I do have to say for a movie from two thousand three that is based in juvenile humor that ends up at a gay bar and then there's trans women in it, way less yeah. offensive than I was. I was, I was bracing myself. I was worried and i honestly i did laugh pretty hard at the the scene with the strippers they bring the strippers in but they're more dominatrixes than strippers and they just started bruising right. the shit out of everybody which is funny <laughs> naked women beating pretty funny. beating little boys up is great um yeah moving on to television peacemaker don't want to get excited peacemakers debuts on usa network okay based on that title tell me what you think this is about I think this is about the really boring people who negotiate for other presidents on how to end wars. Diana? Um, I'm going to go with, uh, it's named after the Old West gun. No, no. How about this? Okay. Mediators for uh, divorcing couples. Ooh, I like that. So Diana was closest. <laughs> it's about... 
Whoa. A forensic scientist in the Old West. What? Oh. Mm. <laughs> I like it. Uh, there's blood on the dirt. Eight that? episodes. This guy was human. Uh, oh my god! And it is the summer uh, for networks. So, Race to the Altar debuts on NBC. Uh-oh. And I'm imagining a road TV trip, <laughs> a road yeah. trip mixed with a wedding uh, reality show. Got it in one, Chris. Uh, wow. Yep. I, I hope if it were me and I was on the show, the person who shows up, the couple who shows up last has to get married. Otherwise, <laughs> what's the real prize here? <laughs> the, the prize is you get your fantasy wedding plan by Colin Cow. Huh? don't know who that is but the, apparently that's the, the secretary uh, general Col- <laughs> no <laughs> not colin powell oh <laughs> colin, colin c-o-w-i-e although you know i'm sure colin powell had really good organization skills i bet he could do a good wedding yeah yep. we tried but he, he he too called it bullshit this is <laughs> bullshit i'm not doing this uh also this week, the debut, My Life as a Teenage Robot debuts in Nickelodeon. Your memories are going to go much further than mine on this, uh, list, dear listener, because I was yeah, no, no. 23. Uh, however, my biggest thing that I loved in games, July 28th through August 3rd, uh, big one here, but I'll get the ones out of the way, But Ugly, but ugly Martians, Zoom or Doom for P- <laughs> PS2. Uh, I think that was... That was a franchise somewhere. Was it a cartoon? Uh, but yeah, it was a cartoon, and they tried to do the whole multimedia thing. We're doing cartoons and video games mm-hmm. and comic books all at once, so everyone likes these bug, butt ugly Martians, but no one liked the butt ugly Martians True. in any shape or form. And this game is a go-kart racer, which has the fundamental problem every go-kart racer with one exception over the last 30 years has had to face and that is the fact that mario kart exists Mm -hmm. okay you're trying to fill an ecological niche that is so filled with this 800 pound killer predator yeah and you're this dinky little troglodyte trying to evolve to defeat it it's laughable it's it it, in especially in an era now where like they keep updating it five years in like I just saw the Garfield cart game like, uh, 50 cents. Yeah, that's about how much you're worth against a <laughs> currently updated Mario Kart. 50 cents. Uh, Shrek Recon Havoc, for once, not a Shrek cart game, but a uh, uh, mini game. No, a decent platformer. Oh, okay. But and the- uh, this game does end on a sequel bait for Lord Farquaad. Farquaad? Farquaad. Farquaad. Farquaad, who is a ghost. And he was going to return for the third Shrek GBA uh, game, which never happened. Aww. So people are left waiting for that conclusion. What a cliffhanger. Poor John Litgow doesn't have another paycheck for easy work. Uh, <laughs> my favorite thing that came out this week was Mario Golf Toadstool Tour for GameCube. And I have notoriously been a person who hates golf and the people that play it. I am now old. And am feeling the benefits more. Than, <laughs> I'm not playing racquetball, my ankles. Uh, but I still might want to get outside, drink, and do something physical with somebody. And golf's looking more appealing. So I'm me a culp on that. My mm. wife and I had a discussion this weekend. We were like, maybe we should take up golf. Mm-hmm. You know, get a couple of used clubs. Um, just try get out there. I, nice, I, easy, breezy. Live in a town with my family. 
dad's knees for tennis and cycling kind of went. So like, that's what they all do. And oh, there's a public course that doesn't cost thousands of dollars a month. I just, for some reason, thought this was for millionaires. And apparently (laughs) you don't have to be. But Mario Golf is just like this wonderful NBA jamification of golf with like this beautiful, uh, different clubs, obviously, but different characters of different abilities and the backspin and the top spin you can put on balls to literally burn DeLorean style through a, <laughs> through a fairway. <laughs> uh, absolutely charming. I don't think the series was ever better than this because I think it perfected itself and in a sense iterated and uniterated on this, whatever this solidified concept was. Uh, and now I play every Mario golf a lot because of this game. Um, it is usurped my favorite from the GBA Game Boy Color RPG one, but uh, it is Toadstool Tour is fantastic. I wish they would re-release it. Well, let's uh, let's close out of two thousand three in the most two thousand three way imaginable with some Matchbox Twenty. It's on the charts this week. Unwell, so Unwell will be taking us out uh, by Match Matchbox Twenty. Tabitha's Secret for my F- deep Floridian friends. Their original name. Uh, <laughs> but we'll be well, you know, after Barbie, everyone's got them on the mind. You know? Oh, really? Want them oh. to push us around? Well, they will. Well, they will. Uh, well, hey, hey, can I play my guitar at you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite lines from the film. Uh, all right, we'll close that with that, but don't move. We got one more segment of the hopper. Stay right there. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. I was considering... uh cloning you and my voice and then didn't find the time to do that but that's within the technological abilities i mean well there's so with that in mind and we talk about replacing people i uh would like to reintroduce jr here hi i'm jr rawls and i suck and i'm gay and i don't like my kids and i'm a stupid moron with a big butt and my butt smells and i like to kiss my own butt so i went to the trouble (laughs) over the last couple weeks of extracting long form audio ai sucks i admit it's not good it's really dumb that is less than three minutes of jr audio granted you know how i could have done that quicker i could have called him i could have arranged an appointment with him i could have paid him but this i got to do for free and it's today i Mm -hmm. guarantee you five years probably less you're going to be able to take the podcast we do yeah select my voice and just say copy all instances of this voice clone it yeah and it's going to be utterly indistinguishable from me to anyone listening. hi i'm jr rawls and i suck yeah totally <laughs> totally <laughs> get bonus time a weekly uncensored and commercial free podcast every tuesday starting for just five dollars on patreon.com slash laser time Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of July 28th through August 3rd, two recommendations. They have absolutely nothing to do with each other at all. But I don't care. I like both of these movies. 
almost equally. So 50 years ago this week, from 1973, saw the release of Day of the Jackal, uh, starring Edward Fox, Cyril Cusack, uh, Michelle Lonsdale, directed by Fred Zinneman. One of the best thrillers of all time. I mean, it's it's a political thriller. Well, I mean, it's about, you know, uh, assassins uh, planning to, uh, you know, kill the president of France. And sometimes you kind of forget you're watching a movie and it just feels like a really good documentary about someone trying to kill Charles de Gaulle. Like, it's all it's shot on location and, you know, France and London and, you know, like very specific buildings. And it's just done like it's really tense and like just keeps moving it's just propulsive even though it's like two and a half hours i think it's it's not a short one like i i don't think i would there wasn't a second where i was like i need to pause this and go to the bathroom i'm bored so data jackal seriously one of the best thrillers ever made and then total flip side 40 years ago this week saw the release of national lampoon's vacation directed by harold ramus a screenplay by john hughes based on a story he wrote for national lampoon magazine uh, back before he was John Hughes, John Hughes, uh, with, you know, first time with Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, plus Randy Quaid, uh, Imogene Coca. Oh my God, I love her so much. John Candy <laughs> making the most out of the tiniest role possible. It's ugly, it's mean, it's frustrating. You think about it every time you go on a road trip. Like, I, I, I don't know what else to say. It's like, it summarizes having a terrible road trip so, so well. I think my biggest complaint is I get so sick of hearing Holiday Road by Lindsey Buckingham and so, like I just need one other song to alternate with. Please. Uh, some people debate, you know, whether Vacation or Christmas Vacation is the best ones. There's always people like uh, European Vacation too. That's fine. Or the remake in 2015. Okay, whatever. But yeah, there's something extra special in the extra meanness of the original uh, from 1983, National Lampoon's Vacation. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming to 2013 with Wrong Side of Heaven by Five Figure Death Punch off of The Wrong Side of Heaven and The Righteous Side of Hell, Volume 1. Uh, did they ever follow it up? We'll tell you in a later show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to 2013. Ten years ago, putting the 10 in 30, 2010, July 28th through August 3rd. Other new album releases include something else by Tech 9 uh, The Midsummer Night Acoustic by Owl City, um, nothing, nothing to Lost by uh, Emblem 3. <laughs> uh, Rhythm and Blues by Buddy Guy. The Pink Tape. Hey. But, what? I like Buddy Guy. Oh, okay. thought I mispronounced Buddy Guy. I can't mispronounce someone I've <laughs> seen live. Uh, the, the Pink Tape by FX. Neon by Jay Sean. And In a World Like This by The Backstreet Boys. Uh, Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke featuring T.I. and Pharrell is still number one. As it always shall be. Um, we will never escape. The lines will always be blurred. I need clear lines for the exit, but they're not there. In <laughs> uh, a, a news story that sadly does not involve the Muppets, uh, $136 million <laughs> worth of diamonds are stolen from the Carton International Hotel in Cannes, France. Uh, when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be this elaborate jewel thief, and he's going to have a European accent, and he's going to have a ragtag a uh, bunch of friends that he pulled together for one last job, and it's a guy with a gun. 
that's, that's what happened. Yeah. It was a very poorly guarded area of a hotel, you know, catering to the ultra rich. Hey, you're in our ultra rich hotel. Why don't you buy a whole bunch of diamonds here for like 10 times the price of walking five blocks? But I think and uh, then, and 10 years later, we're all rooting for the gunman. These people deserve yeah. to be robbed. <laughs> yep. Well, I didn't trust him because the, the, the jewels were owned by an Israeli billionaire named Lev Lev Leviev. That's not a real name. And that's just too many Levses. Yes. I'm sorry, Lev, but you have to stop with a Lev Lev. I, I, Lev I loved them on Arrested Development. Lev uh, Lev. Lev <laughs> tried, I can't. It's really hard to say. I want to put extra Levs in there. Sounds very mature, Wits. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. They literally have a copy guy. And yeah, this may have been the biggest, most successful robbery of all time. Oh, so it was successful. It was successful. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. They, they have suspects. They've done investigating. Uh, they thought maybe it was has something to do with this other jewel thief who had just busted out of prison a couple of days before. But <laughs> Right back in the game. Not even 24 hours. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, then he had it all. Someone else planned it out for him. Also, uh, this exact same hotel is in the Hitchcock film To Catch a Thief with Cary oh. Grant as a jewel thief. So. <laughs> It's a little extra schmancy. But yeah, no, the fucker just walked up with a gun. The guards didn't have... How do guards not have guns in when you Europe. have that much yep. money around? But they're guards. They can get licenses. Yeah, they are guarding that much, yeah. And there's not not a, cops, guards. Not a lot of gun, guns in Europe, and you guys have probably spent more time there than I have. But when they guard banks, it's with, like, automatic weapons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you just guy with gun. Give me that. Okay, bye. And then also in the news, Robert Mugabe, we call him Bababe, friends, uh, maintains power after the Zimbabwe election. And I probably... Yeah. This fucking guy. This I fucking mean... guy. Guys, you want to see how you rig an election? There's not there's watermarks and Chinese paper. No, you have literally... Thousands and thousands of dead 200-year-old people on the voter rolls, which you don't allow the public to see until the day of the election. That is rigging an election. Uh, he said he wanted to rule Zimbabwe until he turned 100, and he came damn close. Oh, lived to the age of 95. Wow. Uh, damn. The secret was probably comparing himself to both Jesus Christ and Adolf Hitler. Huh. Mm. That sounds like a winning Republican strategy to me. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, this fucking guy. Yeah, I love all the, you know, oh, there's a stolen election ideas in, in, in America. It's like, yeah, no. There's, people steal elections all the time. Go look at how they do it. This, this, your theories are wrong. Um, this is how you steal an election. And be like, look, I have a mandate from the people. And you're like, because you killed people. Anyway. He did it all Fuck without right. closing uh, closing the mail during a holiday in a pandemic. Good for yeah. for Bobby Mug, as we call him uh, at our poker games. Uh, moving into movies of 2013, 10 years ago, July 28th through August 3rd. This confused me for a second, and I remember This fucking guy. Amanda <laughs> Brooks, again. Gerard Funk, James Dean, no, not that one, uh, and Lindsay Lohan, The Canyons. Uh... Big sigh. Big, well, directed by Paul Schrader and written by Brett Easton Ellis. So, big sight. Starring a porn star who has been repeatedly since then accused of sexual assault mm -hmm. and violence. So, uh, 
Yeah, not that James Dean. He was gone. Not not the good James Dean. Mm. The bad James Dean. Yeah, so this was crowdfunded. Yeah. Cost about $250,000. Yeah. Um, which is kind of dumb, I think, because I'm sure Paul Schrader and Brett Easton Ellis between the two of them could have pulled that money together. But it, it's an, yes, it's an erotic thriller about multiple couples and their jealousies and everyone's fucking everyone else and everyone's jealous of everyone else and fucking and jealousy, fucking and jealousy, backstab, backstab, backstab. So I had, sometimes literally, I had no interest because I saw a friend of mine went to the premiere and nope. the greatest story I've ever heard, <laughs> something had happened where he like not yelled, but said, God, this sucks in the movie. And and the director is a row in front of him and turns around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> none of us have had that luxury and <laughs> turns around wow. and looks at him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Paul Schrader made great movies before, and he's made great movies since. And, and when this came out, I thought, oh my god, he's so done. Yeah, we are so done here. Where it's just like you're acting like this is highfalutin art when it really is. Just a lot of fucking. But you know why he wasn't done? Because mm-hmm. he didn't lose anybody any money. Good point. That that wasn't a, that wasn't a, a mark on his record. It was an interesting experiment that maybe didn't pan out. But like you know, I have plenty of experience with crowdfunded movie making because I am Jr. No. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah. we're trying. Occasionally, I see things like this, and I'm like, did my movie? make more of a cultural <laughs> impact yeah. than the one starring Lindsay Lohan? Because I'm pretty sure it did. There's... Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, my last count, I have heard 12 podcasts done on Dark Dungeons, the movie. Wow. I oh. guarantee you there are not 12 podcasts <laughs> done on the canyons. Unless their job is like ours to read out what came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just like, yeah, this is bizarre. Why would Lindsay Lohan do this? Well, she's a, you know, she's in, just come out Not of rehab, <laughs> and she's in a really bad spot, and she's trying something new. And all right, I I applaud that, I guess. Um, yeah, and then then they got all mad at her, like she's not promoting the film enough, and she's like, you're asking me to go to parties, and I'm in recovery right yeah. now. I'm not going to parties. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Good for good for her. And yeah, I'm not interested in the canyons. No. I gave up. I started watching it. I was like, mm, no. And then we have a, a, just a beautiful moment for 302010. Oh. That that just seeing this on the paper made me happy. Uh, Heo Miyazaki's final, air quotes, film, 10 years. Until right now. To the day of his, <laughs> almost to the day of his final film. His next final film. But as final films go, I wasn't sure how he could top this. Some of the reviews say like, the new one does. I think it's coming. I forget the Japanese name of it, but it'd be like the boy and the Terran or some or the the Heron yeah. or something yeah. like that in August. But the wind rises. Uh, probably, I don't know if there's a better director track record than Miyazaki, and uh. and and he makes this ridiculously personal film that in some ways you're like, why was this animated? Because that's mm-hmm. a that's the medium he works in. It, it, it's fucking beautiful. It's amazing it to look some at. Things that you couldn't do in. Oh, of course. Action. For one thing, how many animated films cover a man's life? 
I mean, we start out in the 1910s and we end in the 1940s, you know, and we are seeing this character age throughout different eras of his life. And we see Japan age with him. And we see the incredible beauty that Miyazaki can just kind of like dish out like it's dollar bills at a strip club. Yeah, because I do not know anyone who can make just these incredible works of art flow in animation where you're just breathtaking by them. Yep. It, it's, yep. it's gorgeous. The, the timing on this is, is very interesting because I thought of this movie a little bit after I walked out of Oppenheimer. I think this really? goes with Oppenheimer beautifully because it is about a very similar thing in a very similar time. It's about someone who loves aviation and wants he wants to design and build and create something that will be used to murder people. Yep. But he's not thinking about the murdering people. He's it's because it's about uh, Jiro um, Horikoshi who designed the zero. In theory, um, in they theory. do not actually cover his real life. This is a no. highly, highly changed account. There's a yeah. very famous Japanese uh, novel um about a man who takes care of a tuberculosis wife and they kind of just like threw that in here because that was not the real guy's life story he had a very average married life by all accounts yeah yeah it's a it's a fictionalized biography but that theme is definitely there and that theme i understand why miyazaki personally comes back to this feels like a culmination of so many things that he the themes that he's worked on in his life because his his dad owned a uh, plant that made parts for fighter planes during World War II. And he's obsessed with flying. There's so much beautiful flying in so many of his movies, but also the idea that yeah. the, the, something as freeing and wonderful as flying could be used for violence. And he works in a media in a medium that he occasionally resents. Hmm. But, you know, he's an old well, guy. Well, he's a cranky old man. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's a genius, yeah. but he's definitely a cranky old man. He's like, why um, can't everybody else just improvise uh, <laughs> animation? Like, <laughs> I don't know, but it's apparently expensive. And well, um, I mean, I think we need to put things in context. This is a film, animated film that came out in 2013. Mm-hmm. Other animated films in 2013 include Monsters University, The Cruise, mm-hmm. Despicable Me, Turbo, <laughs> Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, Planes, The Smurfs 2. Epic, you know, other than Frozen, this is like the animated film from that year that is actually going to last. This is the one yeah, that I awesome. think generations of people are going to handle. And it's because Miyazaki has skills that no other animator has. Let me, let me throw this out here. Pausing in an animated film. You have a moment mm-hmm. when everything goes quiet and... That is so rare in animation, but Miyazaki manages to use it to literally breathtaking effect where Mm -hmm. you're going along with the plot and you just pause and try to absorb what's happening. Because is this the most deep animated film you've ever seen? It's the most it's it's the most personal animated film I've ever seen. Yeah. It's tackling some adult ass concepts. Um, a day after watching this with my son, uh, my son asked me, 
what I thought the meaning of life was. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. yeah. Drop that on me. Thanks, son. Um, but I see the movie. It's, it's a coincidence. Miyazaki said it's bitches and money. I'm surprised he didn't wait to the end. <laughs> <laughs> gotta wait for the gotta wait for the uh, the, the post roll on that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I I can't wait to see Miyazaki's probably final film. His, his new one, The Boy and the Heron. It's out in Boy Japan the Heron, right yeah. now. And Miyazaki has said he wanted to make that movie to show his grandchildren after he was dead. Like, Grandpa's not going to be around much longer, but you'll have this movie to tell you about life. And he can get so personal, and this movie does it. This yeah. works. If you have not seen it, please watch it's, it. It's it's one of the best animated movies ever made, in my opinion. And unique perspectives, you don't... There's always a bit of World War II in a lot of Studio Ghibli stuff. And just the idea, like, we're losing the war and our airplanes suck. Like, I don't even know if that was legal to put on film uh, at the time. <laughs> and, and, that, and and just if you like Porco Rosso, like, just this Italian-influenced, oh, yeah. candy-colored red aircrafts, beautiful dream sequences. I love this fucking movie. So good. Yep. Got another knock on wood for... The, the podcast curse not taking out Miyazaki because he's 82. Yeah. And he's also not allowed to die. I refuse to allow oh, such things. I also, but this is going to be the last Miyazaki film we're going to talk about in this segment because mm -hmm. he didn't make a single one between this yeah. and his yeah. one that just got released in Japan a week ago. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and and I, I do want to say, I think, is Joseph Gordon Levitt the voice in the American version? In, I think so. So the, the lead in uh, the Japanese version is Ano the creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion because <laughs> the, they couldn't think of anybody like who else sounds like this. And it's sort of the, the reserved nature of this guy they work with the guy, the guy they knew from work, a guy who's not in front of the camera ever. So it's a, I, I think because of that, I, I was like, I'll see the dub version. That seems like a very intentional piece of casting as opposed to JGL who of course can read dialogue. Right. So other than an 80s in-depth episode, we could go on Nausicaa and the Valley of the Winds. Howl's Moving Castle next year is the final Miyazaki film 302010 will cover because all others would have been covered. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah. What? Huh. All right. Would, yeah. I mean, I try to keep the release dates, the Japanese release dates, because mm -hmm. otherwise, like, it's... Chaos. American release dates can be four years later. It's very confusing. Right. So, yeah. I do love Nausicaa. Nausicaa is one of my favorites. I think that's one of the only ones I haven't seen. You'll love it. Oh, you it's will love it. I, I, I've said a million times, I absolutely hate anime. And Miyazaki is one of my favorite filmmakers. <laughs> every one of them, I walk in going, okay, let's see how we do. And every time I'm like, that was amazing. Who, who gets the how dare they... Uh moment for this bit this is a japanese release you're saying of wind rises yeah so it wasn't going up in american theaters against the other animated juggernaut <laughs> um no. thank god frank welker hey i'm down with that christopher hey. mintz plus jb smooth christina ricci tim gunn john oliver anton yelchin george lopez fred armerson alan cumming jonathan winters katie perry brendan gleason Hagazaria, area uh jamma maze uh and neil patrick harris it's the Utterly awful Smurfs, too. <laughs> On July 31st, Gargamel has new helpers. Yes! Ha ha! Naughties, attack! <laughs> 
Get ready for two times the trouble. Let's shut them down. I hate when that happens. Two times the adventure. Let's go! Isn't this fun? Decidedly not! And two times the fun. It's gorgeous. The Smurfs 2. Rated PG in 3D and real Ooh, Smurfs 2, ladies and gentlemen. Smurfs 2. Jonathan <sighs> Winter's final film. He <laughs> died a couple months ago, remember? Yeah. 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 God damn it. And just, I couldn't, you know. No, I, me neither. Me either. And, and like, here's how you know. I tried. Hat trick. I didn't yeah. watch it either. I we could all not. just dodged our responsibilities to our listeners. Because, look, if you want to watch Smurfs 2, you ha will have watched Smurfs 2 already. Yep. And if you don't, then you're You us. made the right choice. It's... That was the right <laughs> choice. Do not question yourself. But I always say our, 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 our podcast game began with cross-checking nostalgia. And two of the things that very early I checked off the list of things I loved and endured hours upon, hundreds of hours on, He-Man and Smurfs. I loved the Smurfs, or so I thought... Like, really? They broadcast this, like, two hours every Saturday, like, on free TV? Of course I'm watching this. I have nothing else to watch, literally. And I had Smurf stuff, and I've just never really cared that much. And uh, my favorite thing about this is this is how you know this sucked. This movie makes, like, $400 million in America, and they abandon the concept when they make a sequel. <laughs> We don't, we don't want to do this again, <laughs> but we have to make a sequel. And they just said it and like, never mind, not this whole Smurfs crossover to real world horse shit. Well, that's the cheap thing. Yeah. If you have to build an entire fantasy world or if you have to get a filming permit for 32nd Street, one's cheaper than the other. Mm -hmm. So it's just always going to be the lazy option a lot of people. I think think you could make some epic Lord of the Rings version of the Smurfs where it's really a fantasy fantasy land, but by God, this isn't. Yeah, if you, if those, those Pee Wee comics are pretty, still pretty neat because I, I do love the Peyo's art style, and when you finally see the Smurfs and they're blue, and it had to be jarring in the 60s, 70s, whenever they, they were created, and the comics are still kind of cool, but uh, they kind of overtook. They're the Steve Urkel of the, the Payo comics. Just mm. totally took it over and changed the trajectory of the entire franchise. And I find myself yeah. annoyed, and I just hate their 3D look for some reason. I can't explain it to you. They dull the blues mm -hmm. for some reason. Like, why? We already accepted all this. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. It's ended up making money. Um, not, I, I mean, once you consider all the expenses and everything in Hollywood accounting and made enough money to justify at least a sequel going to DVD or streaming. No, no, and, it, it had you know, a, they're just done. Yeah. It, but no, it made another sequel, but it just got it like it shelved this universe. Yeah. And this whole conceit, um, the, the just, Neil Patrick Harris character. Movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a movie yeah. I, I thought rising sun felt like it was, <laughs> Dated, this uses a formula that like feels very 48 hours, but at least has some uniqueness to it. Yeah. Two, yeah, big math for me too, Di. Um, yeah, no, I, in my memory, I could, I thought this and Safe House were the same movie because it's Denzel <laughs> and a younger white guy, and I don't care. <laughs> oh my God. And the cop patter. Uh, James Marsden, Edward James Almost, Bill Paxton, Paula Patton, 
Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. Number one this week at the box office, Two Guns. When two guns go to war. Who are they? They kind of want to kill us. Your cover's blown. We got set up. Two undercover cops. Where's the money? It ain't down there, I can guarantee you that. Have I properly incentivized you? More than you know. They have one shot at payback. I get rained. He's just gonna let you die. No, he won't. Denzel Washington, Mark Wahlberg. I, this TV spot, <laughs> I'm watching it on my end, gives away the ending of the film. <laughs> That's just so <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, this is unremarkable, but it, it is totally passable Sunday lazy entertainment. Uh, yeah. A cop, a buddy cop movie, but at least like Denzel's deep undercover and Mark Wahlberg is what? Like an AOL turn like CI for the military police? Right. It, so like they're both undercover, but yeah. they don't know that they're both undercover. They don't know they're both undercover. <laughs> And you and you know that was like the most intrigued I was when you don't know exactly who they are either uh, mm. throughout through the beginning of the film and then it just like it is cliche after cliche after cliche I did not think having Bill Paxton play a murderous villain could be so boring and formulaic no. and it was because now his his best villain role is still frailty and <laughs> but he's kind of fun in this movie um, but. Jesus Christ! This is just. Would you would you say he's a villain in True Lies? <laughs> no, he's kind of a villain. He's a villain. If his catchphrase is "I got a little dick," it's pathetic. How how villainous can you be? <laughs> well, that's what he says after he's it's lost. A naval lint. Yeah, no frailty. I'd rather watch that than this. And I don't like horror movies, and that movie's scary. Um. Yeah, this one I like. I started it, didn't finish it. It's kind of like, all right, I kind of get the flavor of this. It's fine. It's fine. Everybody's sleepwalking through it. It's um, yeah. It's exactly like you said. Where if if this came on and it was like twenty minutes into it and it's a Sunday and I'm doing laundry, mm-hmm. yeah, Which it's I fine. Was. It was ended up in you know what I watched. But it was like it's fine. It's watchable. I guess it's got more twists and turns I didn't get to sure yeah they're both undercover they're they're going after drug guys not enough twists and turns fred ward was almost enough to make it more interesting um but eh, i don't know I, I i love i'll watch pretty much any denzel movie doesn't matter and i do like him in r-rated stuff so there's that um mm. but yeah thoroughly unessential uh two mm. guns hope you enjoyed it let us know your thoughts 2013 television uh july 28th through august 3rd High School USA debuts on Fox. Or is that High School Fox debuting on USA? Let the listeners figure it out. <laughs> and Yeah, this is a animated take on high school. And finally, how popular this is can be shown by how every episode is on YouTube, but not individually. It's like uh, packed into one oh. giant YouTube file. Yeah. And that's like your first hit for High School USA. Like a like a four hour um, yes. four hour YouTube video. Wow! Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! I I want to say this was paired with Axe Cop, um, but it's it's Dino Dino Stamatopoulos, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like it was like a parody of Archie. Oh, I I, I may have watched it. I don't remember a damn thing. 
How can you parody something that's constantly parodying itself? But uh, yeah. Also, we have Capture debuting on the CW. Uh, another reality TV show. Ah. You're in a small camp named The Village. Oh, what a unique name. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then they, more. They they're stuck in a big wilderness area called the Arena, and they participate in hunts. So it's the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh. but they're not killing each other, I guess. Or maybe they are. Yeah. They're so probably virtually killing each Skirmish other. Skirmish Royale yeah, in reality. It's like it's, yes. And uh, more in our wheelhouse. David Letterman marks his 20th anniversary a month early. Uh, with CBS on CBS with the Late Show episode that features his first ever guest from 1993, Bill Murray. And I, um, when God forbid, Bill Murray dies, these will be the clips that come out because they're always fucking <laughs> hilarious. Bill and Dave's relationship on television mm -hmm. is such a joy to behold. You can just type in those two names into YouTube and you are going to get a good clip. Yep. You are. doesn't matter what you get. It'll just be a really entertaining journey. And ba back I before, like, like I hope they have some like huge fight at some point, <laughs> just so we could get like a fictionalized account of their 40 year relationship with each other. I feel like there's a lot like, of people who are they such a good fit. I, I think cause Bill Murray had like, I see Will Ferrell did a lot throughout Conan where like, he'll always come on, but he will never ever promote his movie. And he will always be a different character. And Bill Murray, I think that flippant disregard to promoting whatever he is in and doing whatever gag is going to make people laugh, that's why it's so fun. Because the one I'm thinking of right now is, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Murray and like Liberace's Rolls Royce comes out and Bill Murray <laughs> and like, he is nine feet taller and wider with white fur and a giant hat. That's how he comes out to David Letterman. Always willing to do, do something silly. While still remaining like pretty cool, Bill Murray is kind of was kind of cool back in the day, kids for uh, uh, back in the '90s especially. But yeah, it was always like if you cared about talk shows, Bill Murray coming on Letterman. If you hear that whispered at the water cooler, you'll be watching Letterman that night. So what a worthy <laughs> anniversary guest, and I love that he's doing it a month early because if I know Letterman, I'm not pausing my vacation. Being reruns that week. Uh, <laughs> And uh, 2013 video games, uh, our final little smidgen of here. Um, Eve Online: The Fountain War begins. Is that an? Ex that's an expansion of Eve Online. This is not it? an expansion. Oh, this is yeah. an event. This is oh. a player event. So Eve Online is all about Fucking players crazy. creating their own stories, doing this. As far as anyone can tell, this is the most epic slash most expensive battle in all of video game history because players are spending money to buy ships. Yep. And those ships get destroyed. And, and they, they uh, elect real presidents or like uh, <laughs> real leaders around their group. I would never play this game if you paid me. And people have offered uh, because it's a huge part <laughs> of the Icelandic economy. I'm not kidding. My roommate went there just to check out how it's developed. Uh, but the stories behind it are fucking fascinating, always. And I would love it if someone would turn this into a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had video games get turned into movies. We've never had player-created video game actions get turned into the movie because no one was writing the script. Yep. But double crosses were happening. Uh, 
people were making alliances, people were investing their own money, people were doing all these things, but no one was writing it. But it's, it's still amazing. an epic story. You can look into it. There's like wiki articles on it. There's journals, uh, but no one's done like the full on adaptation of it that I, I think. think but I think that's, that's why it's special because it is epic sci-fi fiction and the developers sort of act as reality show producers. They'll throw things into the mix, <laughs> but it is really up to the players to dictate how everything happens. And I'm t the stories that come out of it are like the closest you can get to like an assassination that no one could have predicted of a real person who's not dead in real life there, but <laughs> they may you, like people have lost, I think up to a million dollars worth of ships, like million dollars yeah. of real world money in battles yep. in this thing. It is hilarious to read about. Like, and I, I also mean compelling. It is ridiculous. And uh, EVE Online, it's like the only only game like this, and which is why I, I won't play it primarily because I'm scared. <laughs> I just don't want yeah. to lock myself in on this. Uh, and then I totally forgot about this. The NVIDIA Shield is released. Uh-oh, uh -oh, what is this? This is the NVIDIA Shield. Oh, Great yes. radio. Ooh. But I was a damn near day one buyer of this because the nvidia shield had such a promise to me it was hey this gaming system can hook up via wi-fi to your laptop or desktop computer and then you can just play it in bed with no problems whatsoever yeah, with games you already own with games you already own mm -hmm. didn't quite work that way for me in practice and it became just like the ultimate emulation device like if you <laughs> wanted to play evo for the snes playing <laughs> it on the nvidia shield was the way to go because you could just whip it out play it anywhere this is a big bulky uh device that is not very powerful compared to what you can do today mm -hmm. but back in 2013 it was just like a lot of power to have in your hands. Yeah, like a Wi-Fi controller with a beam signal of your gaming activities. I don't remember, I can't remember the reviews on it, but it's one of those things, NVIDIA has done this a couple of times, something that's super ahead of its time that kind of the PC gaming world doesn't receive very well. And uh, sometimes the publishers actively block support of it. But uh, so this, it looks like just a controller. It looks like if you and if you put a, a flip a yeah. flip Game Boy screen on an screen. Xbox controller. Yeah, it looks yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. But yeah. so you can also the games are inside that, and you can Wi-Fi stream them to your TV and play them there. I don't. In think, theory, you tell me, Jay. Is that what you're saying? No, you oh. can Wi-Fi stream the games on your desktop to the little screen here, oh. so that you can play uh, your powerful games that this little device can't handle your desktop is doing the thinking and just scream uh, streaming the, the video to this little screen. over wi-fi which a little more lossless than over the internet and if i'm not mistaken i think sony and they announced a portable device that is just this you have it's to a good idea if you can get your wi-fi fast enough but a lot of times it's just not yeah 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 it depends on your yeah. wi-fi but again doesn't require the internet requires the strength of your Wi-Fi device, which most of our Wi-Fi devices have been much stronger than our stable and stronger than our internet for a long time. Yeah. Um, anyway, moving on. Wait, not moving on. That almost wraps up the show. We're going to tell you who died during this period and have a little quiz you can play along with. 
But this is the point where I tell you to support 302010 and Laser Time's other shows on patreon.com slash laser time. We'll give you a bunch of uh, extra content. And there's been about one huge thing every week, the AI episode, which I just had a great time with JR and great conversations resulting from it. Um, yeah, yeah. I have not seen what we believe is the big AI dead actors moment of the summer, but uh, I think most oh, of us have heard I've about seen it. The clip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the future is weird, and uh, that's why people. That's why, especially, why do the actors joined in on this? Because uh, AI was a threat to writers and is a massive threat to actors. So mm-hmm. oh, they're they're in on it. Yep, they've heard about like, oh yeah, we'll pay you a day rate and we'll scan you, and then we can use you forever. Mm-hmm. That's you? happened in video games. Oh yeah, yeah. And ton. That that happens in stock photos, and what well, we'll talk about it yeah. later. Yeah, um, but yeah, you can hear more about that on Patreon.com/slash/LaserTime. Five bucks, over hundred movie commentaries, hundreds if not thousands of shows at this point, extra shows from people you like. Video game apocalypse every week. Uh, I know we got a real special guest on this week. Cannot wait. Don't want to jinx it by saying who it is, but someone who's never been on before. So I'm very excited. Video Game Apocalypse every Friday. Di, where can people find Di? They can find me on, <laughs> on X? The, on, the, on the shitter. Le <laughs> Cine Nerd, L E C I N E N E R D, or follow the show at 302010 Podcast. It's 302010Podcast. Yes, I'm looking to get somewhere that's not Tyler because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I would do with that man's money? I would I would find an entire city block in a bad neighborhood and just pay everyone's rent for 10 years. I would cure at least just for fun. I would solve America's homeless problem. Yes. That's what solve I would this. do with would, half of yes. his money. Yeah. Half. Oh. And instead. Instead. No. Anyway, so besides that, coming up next week, uh, we got some good stuff. Let's see. Um Matt Damon is going to fight for healthcare in outer space. <laughs> Had me confused uh, for a Loh- second. <laughs> Got yeah, it Lindsay now. Lohan is, Lindsay Lohan is back, but now she looks like Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh. And all of that is pointless. It doesn't matter because we have to find out whether or not Harrison Ford killed his wife. He <laughs> says he didn't. I heard he didn't. I heard. I don't care. He doesn't. <laughs> I heard JR do- doesn't care. What a great line <laughs> that I can never recreate. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Holy shit. And if that wasn't enough, we're going to be talking about the most popular card game of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to say goodbye to Balky. Oh, Balky. Yeah, no more Balky. Oh. Oh. A show will end for its first out of at least five times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I do not know what this is. I can't even guess. What the mm. fuck? Now I'm skipping ahead. And uh, the first Pikmin game in 10 years, which will not have another Pikmin game for another 10 years. Uh, with that out of the way, die. Who died? Oh, boy. Well, we, we lost a bunch of good ones and one piece of crap. Uh, in 1993, we lost <laughs> King Baudouin, the first of Belgium, who is 62. He was the last Belgian monarch of the Congo. Not good <laughs> folks and uh he probably knew that they were there was a plan to assassinate the first democratically elected uh president of the congo patrice lumumba and he did nothing so 
fuck that guy. But then it, what's interesting is his brother then took over and his brother lasted almost exactly 20 years. And then he, he abdicated. So we have more of that in 2013, more Belgian Kings for 2013. <laughs> and he, he abdicated uh, in for his son, Philippe, who's, who's King of the Belgians right now. King of the Belgians. King of, yeah, it's weird. He's not King of the land. He's King of the people. King of the Belgians. Hmm. But then in 2003, we lost, here, here come the cool people. We lost uh, Peter Saffer, who is 79. He's one of the inventors of CPR. Well, well nice. modern modern inventors and also- Did he invent the uh, of... chest banging or the stomach pumping? The chest banging. <laughs> wow, you actually and had the... an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the chest banging and the, uh, and the breathing. And uh, also helped with the creation of the recessa ante, so you could actually practice. Instead oh. of just theoretically, because you do want to practice CPR and feel like you have to push fucking hard without mm -hmm. cracking ribs. Yeah. Oh, crack ribs. Go for it. Okay. No, you need to crack ribs if you have to. Yeah. And then also in 2003, we lost Sam Phillips, who was 80. Oh, he's one of the coolest people that ever lived. He ran Sun Records mm -hmm. and he discovered people like uh, some weirdo named Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, some dopey guy named Roy Orbison, uh, some kid that just got out of the Air Force named Johnny Cash, and some truck driver named Elvis Presley. Hmm. Yeah. Never heard of him. Uh, he uh -huh. is rad, and Elvis's son recordings are my favorite thing of his. And then in 2013, it keeps happening! We lost Eileen Brennan, who was 80, who was one of those, I guess she's like a, she's just above hey, it's that guy. But anytime she showed up, everything was about to turn rad. She's super fucking good in Last Picture Show, where she's very dramatic. The majority of people probably know her as Mrs. Peacock from Clue, where she <laughs> hijacks every scene. She is so good. She's also in Murder by Death, which is another, <laughs> you know, parody of that sort of style of thing. She's, uh, she was so much fun. Uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Eileen Brennan. Miss Peacock. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. JR, with the burst out of the way, what do we got? It's time for the bur -bur birthday quiz. This person would be turning 60, but unfortunately they died last year at the age of 59. Oh, okay. Although primarily known as a singer, for instance, his most famous song has received 1.3 billion views on YouTube. Wow. He nevertheless appeared in Batman and Robin, Leprechaun in the Hood, <gasps> Daredevil, oh. Futurama, Bender's Big Score. Coolio! It wow. is Coolio. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so yes, he was born artist Leon Ivy Jr. August first. Yes, that was artist. his. That's, that's what I'm. I would be Coolio too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> artist. Yeah, that's. that's <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, the way he got the name Coolio uh, was that he uh, was performing, and they were someone said, "Who do you think you are, Julio Iglesias?" And he was like, "I'm gonna be Coolio." Hey, <laughs> yeah, that passing uh, a biopic. I like it. Uh, so, yes, he was severely asthmatic as a young boy, starting off as a uh, rapping rapper. Uh, he was rapping unfortunately rapper. arrested for taking a weapon to school, served time for larceny, 
pregnancy, uh, got addicted to crack cocaine, uh, but quit uh, and became a firefighter as a way to get clean and sober. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, His most famous albums uh, are... it takes a thief, nineteen ninety four, Gangster Paradise, nineteen ninety five, and My Soul, nineteen ninety seven. Come along and oh wait, Fantastic Voyage. That's already a famous chorus. But yeah, Coolio, yeah. much love for, and, and is in the only good, the only passable Ben Affleck Daredevil cut, the director's yep. cut. <laughs> yep, and it looks like his uh, his addictions got got a hold of him. I I thought it was a, a heart attack, but they have since confirmed that he OD'd last year. Mm. Fentanyl, Ooh. heroin, and methamphetamine. Jesus Christ! Don't mix and match, kids. Jesus Christ! Nope. Um, no uppers and downers to combine. Just don't, don't do it. But yeah, that uh, gave him a heart attack. Fucking killed him. So. R.I.P. Coolio. Yeah. R.I.P. Coolio. All right. That, <laughs> that about ends. Maybe the... it's Artiste. If it was Artiste, I think it'd be kind of funny. Um, like that's right, Diamond Artiste. All right, that about wraps up our show. Thanks so much for listening. Patreon.com slash LazerTime if you want to support us. Tell a friend about the show. We're going to close out with Runaway Train by Soul Asylum because it's on the charts this week and was pretty fucking huge. And it's still like, it was a moving music video and now is like heartbreaking. Don't look into how many of those kids may or may not have been found. I, yeah. Well, they found a ton. I mean, they kept pulling it and changing it as kids were did found. They really? Because, yeah, because this, you know... It, it's about uh, home, homeless kids and runaways and kidnappings. And so they had pictures of actually missing children. And some of them were found because everybody saw that video and you see a kid in school and you're like, oh, shit. Are you sure that's not you? Oh, wait, turns out there was a custodial uh, kidnapping. Okay, yeah. Because, you know, most kids are kidnapped by, like, they're not custodial parent. So... Yeah, but yeah, they kept pulling it, pulling out the the kids who had been found and putting new ones in, and they they found a whole bunch of kids. Well, and it's also just a good song. Yes. What the fuck? So take us out, Soul Asylum. We'll see you next. i